We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the people of the three fires known as Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations. And further, we give thanks to the Chippewa of Saugeen and the Chippewa of Nawash, now known as the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, who are the traditional keepers of this land. In some parts of Canada, treaties were signed with First Nations that gave incoming settlers rights to much of the land, while in other areas, few or no treaties were signed. Unceded land was never given or legally signed away to Britain or Canada. Instead, it was stolen and continues to be occupied and governed by settlers today. As we live, work, surf and play, we say mahalo to the Métis, Inuit and Indigenous peoples of Turtle Island and from around the world who have stewarded these lands and sacred surf spots for thousands of years. We recognize their amazing resistance, resilience, and strength in the face of ongoing oppression, dispossession, colonial violence, and injustice. In particular, we wish for justice to be brought for the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls from across our country. We believe that for true healing and harmony to occur, we must reflect and make serious changes while working together as we move forward in truth and reconciliation. We can be better, we can do better. Welcome to Permastoked. I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. In this podcast, we talk to your favorite surfers and stand-up paddleboarders from across the Great Lakes, Canada, the U.S., and beyond. We take a peek into their lives and find out what it means to be stoked. Is it a natural state of euphoria, elation, a relentless commitment? I also talk to other Permastoked individuals with ties to surf culture, such as artists, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, musicians, philanthropists, yogis, and much more. Join us each Monday in learning from these field experts and enthusiasts while being inspired by their undying passion, insights, and rad tales. Permastoked is brought to you by Freshwater Surf Goods, your surf brand devoted to spreading the stoke across the unsalted seas and cultivating pride amongst the surf community. We do this by providing products and apparel that celebrate the awesomeness of both Great Lakes and Canadian surf culture. Stand out in the tribe by rocking our gear. Visit freshwatersurfgoods.com today. Or look for our products in a surf shop near you, such as Surf Sup Eco Shop in Concarden and Goderich, where you can also find me, Derek Hyatt, teaching surf, sup, and yoga. Would you like to try the fastest growing sport in North America? Right on, because Freshwater Surf Goods has its own stand-up paddleboard school. We offer basic and advanced flatwater courses, SUP surfing and surfing lessons in groups and both private and semi-private, along with tours, custom experiences, and SUP yoga in and around Owen Sound, Grey Bruce, and other parts of Southwestern Ontario. Have fun as you take your skills from OK to Killer with a Paddle Canada certified instructor. If you'd rather stay dry, check out our Great Vibes Yoga Meditation and Healing Program. Aloha is a life force energy of loving and living in harmony with all my relations. 
Through movement, mantra, meditation, and breath, our classes reveal to seekers how to connect with their true self so they may spread great vibrations in the spirit of aloha throughout the global consciousness. We use powerful yogic technologies and the Hawaiian art of Ho'oponopono to calm the nervous system and leave you feeling uplifted and in harmony with mind, body, and spirit. Enjoy community and a chill atmosphere filled with great vibes and sacred ancient teachings delivered with humor and integrity. Seems like every time I go out surfing, I see someone on some different kind of contraption, whether it's a kite board or a foil board or a kite foil board or a sup foil kite board. I mean, there are so many variations. I don't even know where to start. So who did I turn to? I turned to my friend, Tim Blanchard, to help me make sense of it all. And especially to really get some insight into this kite surfing and man, to learn what it's all about. So, hey, in this episode, I interview owner and head instructor of Surf Culture Canada, Tim Blanchard. He's the founder of Kite Stock as well. We discuss the power of Lake Erie, Tim forming a band named Sublime before the actual SoCal reggae dub band Sublime was formed, windsurfing, the history and development of Canadian kiting on the West Coast and the Great Lakes. He talks about escaping the grips of U.S. Border Patrol for posing a threat to homeland security by kiting on the Detroit River. We talk about kite stock, foiling, snow kiting, wing surfing, kiting on a food tray, sup, surfing, and lots more. So let me tell you a little bit about Tim. Tim is a well-traveled waterman and Puce resident. He started surfing in his early teens. At 20, he traveled extensively, spending a year in Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, and Costa Rica. And this is where he caught the surfing stoke. So after university, he moved to Victoria, BC, and spent his summers training for competitive windsurfing in Hood River, Oregon, at the Gorge and Lake Nitnap. He began his kiting journey in 1999 along with Ross Harrington, head designer of Ocean Rodeo, and the rest of the Victoria crew. His first kite was one of Ross's handmade eight-meter four-line kites. He got in over 100 sessions at Lake Nitnat during the summer of 2000, mastering his kite skills before moving back to Ontario to attend Teachers College. Being years ahead of everyone else in the region with this polished and powerful riding style, Tim quickly became the poster child for Great Lakes high-performance kiteboarding. During the spring of 2001, Tim took part in the first internationally certified instructor's training course that took place in Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. He has since trained thousands of students and several instructors over the past 20 years. With over 25 years of water sports experience in the world's oceans and the Great Lakes, he can provide you with the proper skills and knowledge to safely get on board. He was also the Great Lakes rider for the Nash North American team from 2001 to 2006. Due to work, instructional and family responsibilities, he only competed a few times, but he was the King of the Great Lakes Big Air Champion and placed second overall at the 2001 Ile de Madeleine World Cup event. His current day job as a high school teacher science teacher actually, and his experience as a collegiate track and field athlete and CrossFit athlete and trainer 
These things make him uniquely qualified to provide the best instructional experience in Canada. So today in its 20th year of operation, founded in 2000 by Tim, Canada's first certified instructor, Surf Culture Canada, has pioneered the sport in Southwestern Ontario and is committed to the continued promotion of kiteboarding and other wind and wave sports in the Great Lakes and all around Southern Ontario. Surf Culture Canada has some of the most passionate and experienced instructors in the world. And it's also equipped with the latest equipment, which makes learning faster, easier, and more fun. As Canada's first kiteboarding school with over a thousand lessons taught and 7,000 plus hours of combined lesson and riding time, Tim Blanchard is your kiteboarding authority in Ontario. The most experienced, the most respected, Tim Blanchard and Surf Culture Canada have been featured in Kiteboarding Magazine, Kiteboarder Magazine, OLN, CBC Radio, Global TV, Intersections Magazine, and even some local TV interviews. To learn more about Tim or to book lessons with Surf Culture Canada online, visit www.surfculturecanada.ca. And to connect with Tim, you can find him on social media on both Facebook and Instagram at Surf Culture Canada and on Twitter at Surf Culture Can. This episode was recorded on November 10th, 2020. It is family friendly with minimal swearing, but no F-bombs. Tim Blanchard, how are you, dude? Welcome to Permastoke. How's it going, man? Good, man. How's it going? I heard you just got out of the water. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. November 10th and uh, 75 degrees and uh, 15, 20 knots and uh, pretty awesome kiting session. Wow. What body of water was that, dude? You know, you know which one. <laughs> that Lake Erie you were on? Lake Erie. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not sure because I know you also frequent uh, Lake St. Clair, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Lake St. Clair, um, I would say, is like my home lake um, okay. uh, lake erie definitely uh i've been spending more and more time in lake erie um, nice yeah so what's the draw to erie um the uh the east side of point peely gets uh some pretty excellent waves um i kind of didn't really I always looked at a map and thought there was some potential there on the, the east side of uh, Point Pelee. Um, but it wasn't until maybe like five, six years ago that I really started to explore that area. Yeah. And uh, with the high water levels this year, um, we actually have a spot that has just out of nowhere formed. There's okay. a, uh, There was always a, this misto spot that people talked about. Like if you go to Point Pelee uh, in the marsh, yeah, you could like rent canoes and stuff and, I always hear talk, people talking about uh, if you were to take um, a canoe from the visitor center and paddled out uh, the marsh, there's actually, I guess, an estuary out into Lake Erie. And they said, uh, people told me, you know, they, they paddled out there and just saw these like beautiful waves actually coming into the marsh and breaking on the sandbars there. Wow. So I'd always had this, but it's just, you know, it's a pain in the butt to get to. It's you know, probably a, yeah. a 20 so minute paddle to get to. The point Healy, you're talking. You're not talking about going to Wheatley or something. You're literally talking about right off the park, right at the point. Yes. Nice. Yeah. yeah, there are some spots in Wheatley, um, but if it's got some north in it, they don't, it doesn't quite get it. It needs to yeah. be. Uh, it needs to be pretty straight east for Wheatley to work. 
And yeah. we get a lot of current, so it can be a challenging spot to ride at, to surf at, and yeah. kite at. So those are the exact opposite conditions that I would pray for when I lived in Leamington. <laughs> we needed Southwest for the dock there. Um, right. But there were times that I went out on the other side, on the Wheatley side, yep. at like places like East Mercia Beach and stuff. Yep. That's So what has happened with the, uh, the high water levels, um, where Hillman Marshes, yeah. there used to be a little tiny uh, gap, maybe 100 meters wide, that uh, um, at the very end of, I think, East Mercia Road. Um, but what happened is with the high water levels, and we had a couple of really big northeast uh, storms, mm-hmm. it actually uh, took out all the trees. And now instead of it being this like maybe 50, 100 meter wide gap, it's about half mile. And what it did was it took all that sand and it pushed the sandbar that runs now into the Hillman Marsh. Okay. And so now you've got this opening out into the lake that's like a half mile wide. Then you've got the sandbar that kind of wraps into the marsh. And okay. on an east wind, the, the waves just come right in through that opening and, and are actually breaking on the sandbar on the inside in the marsh. It's wow. Um, uh, it, it's just an amazing spot and so uh, we always wanted to kite kite it but it's swampy and it's all like lined by trees and marsh so um, it just wasn't accessible but now with the sand spit that's formed uh, we can actually kite from it um, I surfed it a couple weeks ago um, my buddy surfed it three days ago he said it was good uh, so we have this new spot that uh, wasn't there two months ago wow because of the high pretty yeah, it, it breached the, the shoreline protection and just like, it's crazy. The whole shoreline has changed. Um, the one spot at Hillman Marsh where I surfed uh, maybe a month ago, now literally the spot I was surfing at is now dry land. Wow. It's literally a sandbar. <laughs> doesn't even it's just, exist it's, anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy because there are these rocks. They put in this rock shoreline protection. Okay. So it was nice because... Um, it can get pretty big there actually um on an east wind you got like 200 kilometers of fetch and yeah. uh, so though that rock protections that Urca put in you could actually paddle out protected by those rocks and the wave was literally breaking right there you just it's literally a 10 second paddle to the wave you ride it in and it's just like this loop there's a bit of a rip so you could just ride it all day it was like it was almost like a uh, uh amusement park ride you could just like ride it in catch the rip back to the break and it was just when yeah. it became one of our, our kind of go-to spots leamington's own amusement ride that nobody <laughs> else knows about <laughs> yeah it's so funny even still now today you know there was like four of us kiting and uh we parked our cars the, their parking lot they kind of got it, it washed away so they put like blocks so you can't park there anymore so we had to park on the side of the road and you know people we're getting our wetsuits on people are just like what are you guys doing are you guys going hunting out there? I'm like, no, we're going kiting. Like wave hunting. Just, yeah. So I heard you say kiting. Now, like, is it synonymous kiting or kiteboarding? Uh usually we stay kiting. Kiting, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess back in the day, people actually said surfboarding. So yes. <laughs> maybe it's just kind of evolved from kiteboarding into kiting. Okay. Yeah. Right on. So, dude, Tim, what are the sort of ideal conditions for kiting then i mean you don't necessarily 
need waves the way we need waves for surfing. No. But I imagine you definitely need the wind. Yes. Um, so, uh, like, I grew up in the area just like you. I grew up in uh, Puce. Mm-hmm. And uh, from, like, an early age, I was just, I, I don't know why my parents aren't into any water sports, any anything to do with boats. I just was obsessed. I think I remember, like, in grade one and two, wanting a windsurfer. Like I was asking for a windsurfer for Christmas. Um, I remember a couple of houses over, um, there was a guy who windsurfed and he always set up the sails in the backyard and be playing with him. I was just like, I just, I'd see it every once in a while on the, on the water. We lived uh, just a couple houses down from the water uh, in Puce in, on Lake St. Clair. And yeah. I just was always fascinated by it. And uh, in high school, um, my aunt had a cottage up in uh, like, on Lake Couchin um, near, uh, Aurelia and uh, I just before you go any further, I just want people listening to know Puce. This is where <laughs> my, my grandparents live. This is like French farming country. Yes. I mean, it's really not what you would think is uh would influence a waterman or something. No, I was I always felt like I was uh somehow put in the wrong family. You know, I was growing up like I think. So when I got to high school, I was just, you know, I, all I wanted to do was surf and windsurf. And I was just like, how did I end up here and not in Maui or, or in Australia? Yeah. And uh, eventually after high school, I did one year university. And then I was kind of like, yeah, not feeling it. So I, I, I like, I'm going to Australia. So I, I uh, got a ticket and went to Australia, spent a year there and in New Zealand. That's where I, I'm like, yeah, surfing, this is, this is like, this is the lifestyle I want to live. I want to, I need to be on the beach in the ocean and uh, came back and finished university. And then uh, I was just like, as soon as I'm done, I'm like gone. I moved to Victoria and uh, all I did was basically, you know, work odd odd jobs, landscaping and uh, just so I could windsurf and surf as much as I could. And uh, actually ended up getting a job with mad science and uh just doing like science experiments for like um, at, uh, schools and for birthday parties and uh i uh oh this, this one this was your job like doing birthday parties and yeah yeah so i odd jobber guy yeah yeah so i i did four years like i i did a degree in biology and geology so i want to go into the environmental theory field and i figured victoria and of course you moved to victoria and like everyone has a environmental sciences or biology degree so oh really like, so- impossible <laughs> impossible to get a job in the field so i'm like okay i guess i'm landscaping and doing odd jobs so um but i was okay with that i just was you know working odd jobs and trying to get on the water as much as much as i could and uh eventually so i uh um, ended up at uh, this out of school program doing like science experiments and just found out that i really enjoyed working with kids. So, uh, um, went back and did teacher's college and, uh, became a teacher. I wanted to go into medicine, but then the thought of medical school and not being able to windsurf and surf as much as I liked kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah. putting into that, you know, <laughs> too much working, not enough surfing. Exactly. And that, that was going to definitely not work out. So, yeah. <laughs> and then teaching like the summers feel like travel and, and surf during the summer seemed like a pretty, pretty awesome uh, you know prospect so yeah yeah so I, I basically um I started in like biology thinking kind of medical field but then 
I got really interested in after like traveling um, geology. So I, I switched and kind of I kept my geology or my biology, but I also uh, got a, a major in, in geology. And I figured I would basically um, work for like companies like exploration. When I was living in Victoria, um, I met this guy uh, that uh, was just living on a sailboat working for a mineral exploration company. Okay. And he just spent the summer on a sailboat um, going to different islands and getting samples for the, the company. And I'm like, this is, I could see something, something like that. Yeah, so, that's uh, cool. I, I thought, you know, working up north in the mining camps or something, uh, that's kind of where I, I pictured uh, with geology, but uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely did. On the BC coast somewhere. Yes. Yeah. BC or even Australia, going back to Australia. So, but here you are teaching science at kids' birthday parties, and <laughs> yeah. at this time you're you're surfing and you're windsurfing pretty hard, right? Was it windsurfing yeah. that was your sort of gateway into water sports? Yes, I, I mean I always wanted to surf, but of course I didn't think you could surf here in the Great Lakes. So I'm like, well, I can't surf, so I'll windsurf, and um, Lake Saint Clair just doesn't have enough fetch to surf, anyways. So uh, windsurfing was the one thing that uh, there was to do here. So what year, what year, this is like late 90s, right? Yeah, I started, um, so uh, I was in grade nine when I discovered windsurfing. Like I'd always wanted to windsurf and finally yeah. they had a windsurfer, just, they just bought one and it was sitting at the cottage and I spent, we were there for a week and I windsurfed like 10 hours every day. The first day I ended up getting blown downwind miles. My dad had to rescue me on a little, wow. they had a little, little aluminum boat. He had to come and rescue me. And then the next day I only ended up like a mile downwind. And then the third day I was able to like hold my ground. And then I'll never forget. I think it was just the second last day. It, it was really windy day and I got my first actual planing. Mm. So actually getting to board on plane and actually going fast. And I was just like, that, that was, that was it. That, that feeling of, planning on a, on a board was just, um, I was hooked. And then, uh, of course my parents weren't very happy about that. Cause now all I want to do is like buy a windsurfing board and, and just windsurf. And, uh, eventually did find one in the classifieds like a year later and, uh, took like, you know, all the money I'd saved for like the last 10 years, bought you know, really, really crappy windsurfing setup. I totally got, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, got me out and, uh, that's so why you're on Lake St. Clair, and I mean, you weren't far from Erie, but you, you no. know the potential of the waves at that time. I did not. That's Basically, incredible. I would, I would, I would take my gear and I'd put it on. I would carry it on my head. We were about maybe ten houses down from the lake, so I'd put it on my head and I'd carry it down the road over the rail tracks and go. We had a little tiny like uh, parkette at the end of the road. Yeah. And, uh, people, people thought I was crazy. Especially it was, you know, like a 12 foot huge board. Like it was oh, by yeah. the time I got there, I was exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even, the first time I, I, the first time I actually did, I got a roof rack for my car. I think this is maybe like grade 11 or maybe grade 11 or 12. I did go down to sea cliff and I was so excited. Like I remember going down and like there's waves and there's wind and, and I went out, I was riding for a little bit and I snapped my mast and. Oh. That was uh, the end of my session. I remember going to, I'm like, what can I do? Like, I went down to Canadian Tire to try to, like, find something to, like, repair it. And, of course, windsurfing mash, you can't, like, just repair with 
something that you'd buy at a Canadian tire. Yeah, really. So I, I think I bought like PVC pipe and tried to like, you know, stuff it in. But then like when I rigged the sale, it was like kinked 45 degrees and like totally, totally didn't work, but I had yeah. no money. And that was, that was a very sad day. That was my first sad Lake Erie day. Yeah. But we had to have ingenuity. I mean, it wasn't like now you couldn't just go to the store and get new gear or. Yeah. So, yeah, you were sort of just makeshifting red, green windsurfing. <laughs> so I did, I did eventually find, uh, there were actually a couple of windsurfers I finally like connected with in like grade, grade 12. And, uh, there's a guy who had an older mask. He just like gave it to me. Um, so was this at Bell River to... High School? Yeah, yeah, I went to Bell River High School. Okay, so this is a big football high school. Uh yes, definitely. You're like surfer dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Surfer dude and and uh in a band and uh yeah, hacky sack. And definitely uh but there was a little like uh you know, the it was a grunge year, so um yeah, I was definitely a, a Chicago or a Seattle grunge. Nice. Guy that was long. I had like long hair and corset plaid, and yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you were one of the skids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, rocking like camo, um, cargo shorts, and like, oh yeah, remember those corduroy like long sleeve shirts that were so cool. Oh yeah, it was like a real uh, Eddie Vedder kind of Pearl Jam look or something. <laughs> uh, what instrument do you play? Uh guitar. Guitar, nice man. I drum. We gotta oh, nice. rock hey. some surf tunes someday. Yeah. Yeah. Our, we had a pretty we had a pretty good band. Uh it's so funny. We we actually our name was Sublime before Sublime <laughs> came out. So we named our so that was our name. We called ourselves Sublime. I think it was like 80, would have been like 88, I think, 88, 89. And wow. and I think Sublime came out a couple of years and everyone's like, You guys are sublime? And you're like, well not obviously for the record everybody i'm talking to tim blanchard guitar player for sublime (laughs) (laughs) the first sublime oh the first sublime that's hilarious wow Uh, yeah so you were sublime before there was even sublime yes what kind of original original music or covers uh we know yeah we definitely did yeah we we made some original but mostly like for the talent shows, I remember we did like, we played like War Pigs once. We played like Even Flow, so we were nice. like a lot of Metallica. So we used <laughs> to play like parties. We played like a bunch of big parties in high school, and uh, actually our drummer Gavin McGuire became he's he was an amazing drummer. He uh, was a drummer for uh, the Brian Elkis band, who became pretty pretty big. They opened okay. for like uh, Key Party, I think, and like even for. Uh, some bigger bands nice yeah uh, yeah oh sweet kind man. Of, a kind of like university yeah not playing guitar and kind of gave up that dream of uh <laughs> right on. being a, a rock star <laughs> yeah so you did the windsurfing thing throughout high school yeah and then you went to university and now here you are you're out in victoria Yes. In science to kids on weekends, you know, aspiring to be on Beekman's World, maybe, or <laughs> Bill, <laughs> Bill Nye or something. Yeah. And uh, so tell us about the progression from there. You're windsurfing, you kind of you dabble in some surfing. 
take us through that journey, man. How did you find the kite? How did you learn to fly a kite? Well, um, I was pretty lucky. Um, we had a, like in Victoria, there was a really active windsurfing scene, like uh, a big crew of windsurfers and all really good. Um, like I would say, you know, I was one of the better windsurfers in the area when I left Ontario, but when I got there, I was literally like the guy that no one wanted to, to windsurf with. <laughs> you know, I, it was like quite the, I, I remember my first day at, so there's a spot Cook Street in Victoria, which uh, has some like, man-made reefs it's and uh it's a really sketchy spot yeah. and you know my first day i ended up on the reef and my gears like washed up and you know everyone's just like who is this kook <laughs> and of course i come back up and they're like oh ontario plates yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the and i think this the next day there was it was good again and then um i kind of figured the spot out and then um, I remember coming in and there's this other guy that ended up on the rocks and, uh, comes in, I kind of help him with his gear and we start talking and, uh, we ended up becoming really good friends, but he as well was from Ontario, <laughs> just moved to Victoria and like, welcome to the, the, the club, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, club. so yeah, Victoria had this amazing crew of just, you know, a lot of the guys like spent time in Maui and, you know, there were a bunch of pro level guys that like did the tour and, uh, so it was, I learned so much. I, be, you know, I went from just you know, my level down here to, you know, three years, to, you know, being able to do like front and back loops and stuff. And uh, so Ross Harrington was like the local, uh, the guy who's uh, built sales. And uh, a couple, uh, couple of those guys started uh, playing with just these traction kites. There used to be these guys, so... Um, Cook Street was this interesting spot. So it was like the windsurfing spot. There were maybe a dozen guys that would hang glide there. It's like a cliff on the ocean and uh, okay. the wind would blow up. So there would always be a bunch of guys hang gliding there. And then there were these guys that we used to make fun of that would fly these kites and these little buggies. So these okay. like little three wheel buggies, they would like zip around like flying kites. And we would always like make fun of them. And then I surely uh, want to do it. And then, well, one day, you know, a couple of the windsurfers, like, were flying the kites, and we're all just like, what are you guys doing? You're flying the kites. They're like, well, there's this new sport. We're like, what new sport? They're like, kite surfing. You haven't heard of it? We're like, no. What's, what's kite surfing? Like, well, you know, you do it with, like, you take a kite in the water as if it's, you know, a sail. And uh, we're like, okay. So no one really paid much attention to it. But then a couple of the, the buggy guys started actually switching over like and trying it on the water and and at first they would usually always end up putting the kite in the water having to swim in um one time i had to rescue the guy i'm out windsurfing and he dumped his kite like way offshore we're talking like miles offshore so um i didn't realize what the kite was like so the original kites weren't meant to float they um, they would they would go in the water and they would just like soak up the water and they would literally turn into a hundred pound bag Oh, no. So I, I, I went out to him and I'm like, you need help? He's like, yeah, can you like bring me back in? So I kind of like just pull the kite up onto the my board and it's like, you know, the board is like sinking now. The kite's so heavy. So I'm just like, shit, like this is going to be sketchy. We're like a few miles offshore. So it takes like an hour to tow him back in. And it was, it was hard. Like it was, wow. I was just, I was exhausted at the end trying to like sail with him on the back of the board, the, the, 
the kites just all over the board, just like wrapped around my legs and everything. And so, so we get in. Actually, you were actually windsurfing back into shore. Yeah. So I actually pulled him. Yeah. So I pulled wow. him back into shore. Um, like the wind side shore. So you kind of go out and then come back in. So like that's how you usually sail there. So we get back into shore and then we notice that one of the uh, the Coast Guard cutters is like offshore circling around. <laughs> so we get up to the top and they're like, everyone's at the, the cliff, like, you know, checking to see what's going on. And finally we're like, what's going on? They're like, oh, well, some hang glider ended up in the ocean. So they're trying to find him and rescue him. And we're just like, oh shit. <laughs> like this isn't like, this is like one of the Coast Guard cutters, like 200 foot, like big ass, like Coast Guard, like ships that you see offshore, like in Oregon. And yeah. uh, so they're circling around looking for Yawn, thinking, cause if a, if a hang glider goes in, it's that serious. Like they can definitely, it just will sink and they could drown. So, so I rescued them and we're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. So they uh, thought it was they, a hang glider, but it was actually yeah, the guy. It was actually rescued. yeah, the guy that I that I rescued. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So did you reveal that to them, or did they? Keep yeah, them? we did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we were worried that like you know we get in trouble, like they yeah. get hurt, but it's just you know with the coast guard. <laughs> <laughs> but that that happened all the time because it, it's it was uh, it's like right downtown in Victoria, and it's all tourist so. A lot of times tourists would see someone in the water. They think they're in trouble. They'd oh, yeah. It happened a lot. Yeah. Probably rather um, than call than not call. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is good. But there were a lot of times just to, to have, it wasn't one of the, the, like they had the smaller Zodiacs, but this is actually one of the like Coast Guard cutters, like big ass <laughs> like, boats, well, like circling around looking for this <laughs> guy. I'm curious. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um so at first like they were kind of flailing it wasn't working until uh so um there was this guy uh Grant mcpherson he was like the best sailor on the island and kind of like how robbie nash when robbie nash got into kiting uh, up until then it was like this weird fringe um sport but you get someone who like robbie nash who is yeah. dozen years world champion and you know amazing surfer and just all around waterman kind of everyone now was like whoa same thing happened this was 99 and uh grant started kiting and we're just like if grant's doing it there's got to be something to this okay um but the funny thing is so grant was just light years like he was like a world-class windsurfer you know you'd see him out throwing front and back loops like no problem um so he was trying to figure out how to jump and he he couldn't figure it out. So we were watching. He would like kite or in the windsurfing. So with the kite. So he he was starting to kite. He was he was starting to get it, but the whole appeal to the kite was being able to jump without a weight. Yeah. So he was all his thing was he wanted a kite so he could jump. Okay. But, and are these still um, the kites that are gonna sink in the water? Yes, or... these are the kites that sink. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so he would he would go out. He like usually you know be out ten or fifteen minutes try jumping wipe out hard kite ends up in the water he swims in and this was like weeks months that this happened so everyone is kind of watching you know sitting back like because if grant can't do it like kiting is not a yeah. sport that we want to get into <laughs> uh, but eventually he did he eventually started jumping and then it was like whoa grant's jumping and and uh, 
it, it was just such an amazing, exciting time because the internet had just started. Um, it was, I think, really people talk about kiting as being like the first like internet sport. You know, mm. in the beginning, it was so cool because um, you had all these guys in different parts of the world developing the sport. Like we were making our own gear. Like Ross, the sail designer, he was building kites. Like the first kites he built were actually out of tarps, blue yeah. tarps. Um, so, and then it eventually he was making them. So he'd make different kites. So I was like, I had pinky. I had this red kite that turned pink with this. So we know who was riding by the color of the kite. So he was like making these kites and uh, by hand uh, for local guys because um, they were better than actually the kites that were available on the market. Yeah. Um, until Na until Nash got into it, Nash really when they got into the the sport really advanced the the level of the gear. Um, but uh, like my first kite, actually I bought a, one of those ones that didn't float. But my first actually like real kite surfing kite was was made by Ross, um, and he went on to make. Uh, to start the company Ocean Rodeo, which is a Canadian, the only Canadian kiteboarding company, and they're one of the top uh, kiteboarding companies now. So it's kind oh, of cool, cool that I got to basically fly uh, Ocean Rodeo kites before Ocean Rodeo was actually a thing. I got to wow. fly his actual like handmade because all the kites now are made in in Taiwan in a factory. Like yeah. they just slap different stickers on. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it was kind of cool to have a handmade a Ross original. I yeah. had it up until just a couple of years ago. Actually, I, I kept yeah. it. I'm like, you know, I wanted to keep it, but I took it out and it was like, it was just all the, it was just falling apart. The, it was like, you know, almost 20 years old. The threads were actually like just ripping. And so I kind of, yeah. So you're right on the Canadian like forefront of this sport, basically. Yeah. It was, it was awesome to be part of that. It was such a exciting time. Like every session, it was like, you know, we were learning something and, and, you know, there was about a dozen of us, so we were all pushing each other. You know, once Grant started jumping, then everyone had to jump, and and then Grant started doing spins, and it was like you could do spins. Who thought you could do spins? So it just like really pushed us. You know, in one year, we progressed the sport so quickly. Like when I moved back to Ontario um, in 2000 for Teachers College, you know, I I, I hooked up with the kiters here, and and you know. There were a couple of kiters are I'm like, how long have you been kiting? They're like, you know, three years. And I'm like, you've been kiting three years and you, you can't go upwind or you can't jump. Like, because, you know, it was so hard if you were learning by yourself. So there were all these kind of random solo guys in Ontario. Um, so it was, it was hard for them to progress. Whereas we just had this, even just um, to have someone, if you get in trouble. Um, I had one time where I lost my board. So this is like that first year. So like in the, the year, that we basically like went from you know flying the kites to actually jumping and kind of progress the sport. Um, I lost my board at, at uh, um, offshore at, at uh, the main spot at uh, Cook Street, and uh, Ross um, saw me lose it, and uh, I was just like, eh, whatever, it's gone. He's like, no, dude, we're gonna go get it. So we jumped in his car, and there's the point about a couple miles downwind. So we park there we like go to get it and just as we get there it like just goes by so we're like well there's another point so we drive get in his car we drive a couple more kilometers and like because this is on the in, uh, incoming tide so it's just the tide is ripping in the, you can just see the board getting ripped with the, turn, the current down the coast so we go to the next point and again we miss it again and then we get to uh, the next bay ross bay and he's like dude i'm just gonna paddle out so he gets on a surfboard and he paddles out trying to get it and he like 
paddling out and you can see the board. It's like, he's going to, and he just misses it. Uh, <laughs> so he, and he literally paddled out 20 minutes and he just missed it. And he's like, comes back in and we're just, I'm just like, dude, it's, it's good. It's like, whatever. I'll, I'll get another board. It's, it's lost. And uh, he's like, no, we're going to get the boards. <laughs> so he's like, there's one more point. He's like that last point, like maybe we'll be good. We'll, we'll get it there. So we literally get to the the last point. If, if, if it, if it doesn't end up on these rocks, it's like basically going into the Strait of Georgia. It's basically okay. <laughs> so we get to the point and we get there just as the board's coming up and it actually catches a rock and washes up on the beach. Wow. <laughs> this is like an hour and a half, maybe two hour ordeal, like going like yeah. to all the points and paddling out half hour and back and it literally washes up on the shore. <laughs> oh man <laughs> so that that's one of my my first kiting stories the quest for the road board yeah that was insane I, I thought for sure i was just like whatever it's it's gone i'll never see it again i'll just uh find some beat up used one and yeah, so now in, in those in those early days of kite of kiting mm -hmm. um so you were now what were what was the focus then just going straight i mean you, you didn't necessarily even need waves you guys weren't ramping and stuff yet is that how it sort of started or um at first it was just uh eventually we wanted so the real appeal of kiting is that for windsurfing you need like 20 knots you want like waves like i was all about like wave sailing um okay. to jump like to jump windsurfing and basically have to go on a ramp right okay. um, to be able to do like aerial tricks but the appeal of kiting is that you can just be riding, you send the kite and the kite actually just lifts you into the air. So you can do like kind of weight, wakeboard type tricks without oh. a boat with the kite. So that was the whole appeal to be able to jump, you know, 20 feet, do some spins, do some like handle pass. So do these kind of like aerial tricks. That was like the whole, and like, I remember the first time I jumped, it felt like I was literally 20, 30 feet up. And, you know, you come in, you're like, I, how high did I jump guys? They're like, you know, two or three feet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you literally, the first jumps because like windsurfing, you jump and then you just come back down. Whereas the kiting, it's like you jump, you kind of float and then you just slowly come back down. So it, it feels like you're much, much higher. Yeah. Just with that float. Cause you, you get time to actually look around while you're in the air. Whereas like windsurfing, you just go up, you come back down. Um, so first time jumping is, was just like, it was just amazing to be like floating in the air for a little bit. Well, you basically just learned that you could fly all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. I basically that, that was really the appeal for us was the being able to jump and fly. And also just, you can go in really light wind. So um, we had a couple spots like Jordan river, which is like, was one of our like big surf spots. Um, so we always wanted to like wave sail it with a windsurfer. Um, but it, it was always really light wind. So you need a really big sail. And uh, like the first time I actually wave sailed there when it was big, I like ended up breaking my mast and, and it wasn't a great day. Um, so it was really like a bunch of the guys. It was like our dream to be able to like um, not surf it, but to to like use the wind and pull us out and then just be able to surf. So the appeal of like wave kiting is to like use the kite to paddle out. And then you just then turn around and then when you're 
when you catch the wave, you just basically depower the kite and you just ride the wave as if the kite's not even there. Okay. So that's that's the appeal. Like like when I'm riding it in card and like I'm kiting, you know, I'm using basically the kite to get out behind or past the brake, and then I'm kind of like out there. Um, I'll usually be riding really slow because I'm just waiting for a set. And when I see a set, I'll kind of like uh, ride towards where the set's going to break, ride a couple turns. And the beauty is now, instead of like having to paddle back out through the lineup, I can just use the kite to like just pull me back out to, to the outside. Yeah, you don't stop. I mean, a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. or a month ago or so when we were out surfing mm-hmm. and you were out there on your kite in Kincardine, I mean, you know, I would have to wait for the next wave and you just sort of caught it and turned around and waved and... I mean, it was just yeah. nonstop movement. Like your momentum doesn't really slow. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, like that's why moving back to the Great Lakes, I kind of didn't. I like I really don't surf that often. Like I, I stop surf if it's if it's uh, you know, small and occasionally we'll surf, but um, usually we have enough wind to be able to to kite. So if there's enough wind to kite. It really doesn't make much sense for me to surf. Because wow. I can surf the waves, and I can also on the way out jump. I can jump. I can go to the outside. I don't have to like worry about paddling out. Um, so, like really, the Great Lakes are when it comes to like wave kiting is is the perfect setup because anytime we have waves, there's wind pretty much, and uh, they're close together, um, which sucks for surfing. But for kiting, I mean, I, I you know all I need is a couple turns. And I can kick out, ride out past the break, and then wait for another big set and just do that all day long. And, uh, you know. And you're making me feel like Fred Flintstone, you know, showing up <laughs> at, at Seacliff Beach with my surfboard in the late 90s. Like, okay, here we I'm go. Sure, figure this out. <laughs> I'm sure we, like, maybe crossed paths in, like, 2001 or 2002. <laughs> I'm gonna say we most likely did. There certainly was only a handful of us back then. It yeah, like I remember, like Aaron, we used to call him. My buddies used to call him Billy Goat. He'd be like, "Is Billy Goat out surfing today?" Yeah, Aaron Hopper. Yeah, he was, <laughs> yeah, he was my buddy. He used to get surfer, and yeah. you know, the interesting thing about him was he didn't know how to swim. Oh really? Yeah, my first surfing buddy didn't know how to swim. Oh, uh, he was such a character. I used to yeah. love talking to with him. It really was. He used to yeah. in high school. He used to wear those, you know, the suits that Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels wear in Dumb and Dumber, like oh, yeah. suit or light blue suit. He used to wear that kind of stuff in high school. And he I can totally that that I can totally picture. Yeah, yeah, in the halls of Leamington High. Yeah, he's, mm. he's a character. Um, he lives up in Aurelia or something now. We've been talking a little bit, but he's not—he's not surfing as much. But I think he yeah. still has the stoke. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, man. So here you are. Okay, so you're in Victoria now. You know what's interesting too is you guys being the pioneers. It reminds me a lot of uh, Laird Hamilton and the Strap Crew. You know, mm-hmm. like out on those giant waves, like doing these things for the first time right and then other people modeling them after so you guys must have had it must have been really interesting to be developing something and usher it in and then see other people doing it after 
Oh, definitely. Um, one memory that comes to mind is uh, when it was, I think maybe March of 2000, there was an earthquake, a pretty, pretty intense earthquake. It was like a four point something that hit Victoria. And uh, it, it was maybe four in the morning. And it like it woke everyone up. It was like pretty violent. And uh, I remember that day talking to all my kiting buddies and everyone was dream had been dreaming about kiting when they woke up wow. <laughs> just to like, we were just so obsessed. Like it was just, you know, we thought like kiting was going to like change the world. We thought that, you know, we thought that like 2020 there'd, you know, literally be like, you know, hundreds of kiters at every single beach. Yeah. It, it hasn't taken off as, as big as we thought, but uh, definitely it's, it's, it's a big, a big sport now. Uh, now back then the kite boards these were not like foil boards back then correct no we started the really with, kind of look like them more like a surfboard or surfboard no basically like a shortboard like a lot of guys were using their surfboards like most of the guys surfed as well as windsurf so okay. a lot of guys were actually using their surfboards um until they started jumping and breaking them <laughs> okay found out that like surfboards weren't going to work because uh when you start putting straps and jumping them, like, oh yeah, snap, snap. So yeah, not a good idea. So when did yeah. the competitive? When did competing come in, man? How did you get involved? Uh, in that uh, like about two thousand, like one, two thousand two competitions started to become a thing. Like two thousand, the the Red Bull uh, King of the Air in Maui started. That was like kind of the big worldwide like event. And like in 2002, um, so when I moved back to Ontario, um, when I was in teacher's college, I basically uh, started uh, trying to promote the sport in the area. I didn't plan on staying. I just, I was planning on doing, because teacher's college had just become two years in BC and it was still one year in Ontario. So I'm like, uh, well, I'm going to go back to, so I'm like, I'll go back to Ontario, do teacher's college right. and then just head back to Victoria. And I, so uh, with mad science, um, when I found that like, oh, I love working with kids. I ended up, uh, I was at a school doing mad science and they're like, they're like, do you want to work for us? Or like, you know, we're looking for like male, like uh, supervisor for the program. And I'm like, mm, I don't know, I guess. So I took that job and uh, ended up just loving working with kids. Yeah. And so I knew I liked working with like younger kids, but I wasn't sure about uh, high school. So I did you know, intermediate senior just to see, um, if I enjoyed that more, which I found I enjoyed high school uh, better. Okay. Um, so I finished um, teacher's college and uh, that spring, the spring of 2000 and, uh, 2001, um, <clears throat> I found out that uh, there was this like pro windsurfer in Detroit of all places. Um, and being, I was going to University of Windsor just right across the, uh, the bridge and uh, we ended up hooking up and he was the like the North American rep for Nash oh, and okay. a couple like other brands like um, and he had like he was like the Midwest rep for like Red Bull and stuff. So um, we kind of started uh, working together and he basically um, Nash took me on as like the Great Lakes team rider. So um, that summer we like toured like the Great Lakes. We went to like the U.S. windsurfing championships to do like kiteboarding demos, trying to get people stoked on kiting. Nice. And uh, that that fall, I went. There was like a, a pro tour stop in uh, 
Ile de Magdalene in uh, the Gulf St. Lawrence. So I went there and uh, I finished like second overall at that event. And uh, then no, I got a job teaching. I was like, eh, okay, I don't think I'm going to be pursuing competition. Anyways, I was more into teaching. I was more promoting. I wanted to promote the sport locally. Um, I just, I remember the first year I was here, um, there was a week in September that I kited every day on a different wind direction. It was like um, one day I kited at Bell River um, on a north wind, and the next day it was like an east wind, and I kited at like Cedar Beach, and then it was like southwest next day, and I kited at like that sea cliff, and and every, like for seven days in a row, like I kited like basically um, Essex County is like an island. You've got Lake St. Clair for any north winds, you've got Lake Erie for any of the south winds, even the Detroit River. So yeah, so I just, I was just like, oh my God, there are so many spots and like Victoria for kiting really sucked. It, it, the, the coastline is covered in barnacles. It's rocky cliffs. Like we launch like Cook Street, uh, Cook Street is literally a hundred foot cliff right there. And it's just super sketchy having, you know, like super flat water spots, sandy beaches, like pretty um, light winds, like for learning, it's amazing so i'm like uh yeah i guess i'm gonna stay here and uh, in 2001 i went and did uh Whippica, which was like the first kiteboarding company that had like a, the first instructors clinic in the world um in cape hatter so i went down and did that and I came back and started like my company surf culture canada so you were the first kite surfing instructor in canada is that right yeah, yeah. wow yeah, amazing and so first kite instructor, first kiting school then as well, I take it? Yeah. yeah. Wow, man. There's no one else really doing it. So um, even with all that stuff happening on the West Coast, mm-hmm. the first school popped up on the Great Lakes. Yeah. Oh, that I is found, like, really neat, man. Yeah, Bell River like, was my home base. It's just a really shallow, really easy learn spot. And then eventually I, I found Mitchell's Bay. Um, yeah. on the other side of Lake St. Clair, which, uh, is an amazing kiteboarding spot. There's marsh islands and shallow water for like miles. It's just, we, we'd often like make, well, most people would consider it the Cape Hatteras of, of Canada. Um, Cape Hatteras is like one of the, the really big spots for kiting. Okay. Um, it's kind of cool because you have the ocean side so you can surf or surf kite. And then you've got the sound side, which is flat water and uh, shallow for learning okay so you kind of get the boat best of both worlds there so hatters is kind of not only a surfing mecca but a kiting mecca amazing and uh yeah so i ended up staying in the area and uh and uh, i didn't really wasn't too interested in waves back then in the first couple of years because i was more like most of the riders i was teaching everyone was new um so it takes usually um a year or two to get good enough to kite in the waves. So I was usually kiting in, in flat water, but uh, yeah. over the years, and we started as I had a bigger crew of like good riders, we started kind of going to like Huron to kite more and, and like uh, other side of Point Peely, which can get some really big waves on, on east winds yeah. like in Carden area. Yeah. So I know you, you were really into teaching high school, but mm-hmm. Is there ever a part of you that thinks like, oh man, what would have happened if I would have carried on with the sort of professional or competitive side? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. But I was more, um, my thing was always, um, 
growing up, I just, I couldn't wait to leave. I remember like in high school, you know, my, the walls of my room were like covered in like, you know, waves and beaches and I just, you know, mountains. I just couldn't wait to leave Essex County. So I was like, there's nothing here for me. I want to surf. I want to rock climb. I want to be in, in nature. And uh, coming back, I was like, we basically have the one thing that we have here is, is kiting. That's <laughs> the one thing like we have, you know, we don't have super strong winds, which sucked for windsurfing, but for kiting, you don't need nearly as strong winds. We have like shallow water, you know, waves don't really have much waves. So for learning, you know, the basics of kiting, like Essex County is like, is about as good as it gets except in the summer the winds get pretty light for usually the middle of like the middle of august middle of july to august um we get like the lightest winds of the season and and it gets challenging to get out kiting but uh you know like spring is great the water warms up and and the other thing is um, lake st Clair and western lake erie you know come april you're usually in a shorty wetsuit where you go up to like barry up to Georgian Bay or you go to Huron and it's like 40 degrees still. So our season down here is like, we're on the water, like, you know, April, sometimes in shorties and uh, we're in the water still, you know, today, like water is yeah. still like six, 55 degrees, um, pretty decent. And the air was like 65. Um, so our season is so long down here. We have my amazing spots, the winds super clean and, and steady. So, uh, you know, all the things that I hated before <laughs> now are kind of ideal, like the lighter winds, the yeah. steady light winds and, and the shallow water, lack of waves. Um, and then, but then we do have the wave spots, you know, um, Kettle Point on Lake Huron, just, uh, the side of Grand Bend is probably the best wave spot in the Great Lakes yeah. for like wind sports, because there's a, a rock reef that goes out and, uh, it protects it. So you can launch. Um, and then you get over half mile and the waves are breaking out there and you can be in like well overhead high waves and uh, yeah, it's just an amazing spot. I find it interesting that kiting has made, you know, surfing or water sports on the Great Lakes in one sense, more accessible, um, you know, to a lot of people who don't want to spend years trying to learn how to surf. Um, right. You know, but then on the other hand, it's less accessible in the sense that you got to have a invest in a, probably a lot of money, yeah, into a lot of gear. And you know, I'm listening to you when you talk about, oh, why wouldn't I go kiting rather than surfing? And I'm thinking, but if I want to go surfing, you know, I just put on my board shorts and grab my board and out I go. I mean, yeah. setup time and, and all that must be pretty extensive as well. Um, it's, I would say the, the biggest uh, kind of factor against hiding is, is the cost. Like, oh. It is a fairly expensive sport. Um, we thought um, eventually become much more of an accessible sport, but it's still like the cost of the gear Usually as, as you know, uh, sport gets larger and there's more manufacturers, usually the cost goes down quite significantly, but never really happened with kiting. Okay. Like kites basically in 2000 cost $2,000 and a kite nowadays 
costs about $2,500. Okay. Yeah. So it's like the cause, like, you know, inflation, but on a relative basis, the kites really haven't, you would think with such a large demand now for kites and being so many, um, having so many brands and uh, pretty large market that the prices would have, because I mean, there really, there's not much to a kite. It's a bunch of stone material with a bladder inside. You know, it's like one two hundred dollars to build. Yeah. So, there's, there's but when you're saying twenty five hundred bucks, you, are you talking about the board and the kite? No, that's just like the kite and lines. Oh my! And you're looking at maybe. Yeah, I mean that's new. Like again, you can okay. for a thousand for a thousand dollars, you could find on Kijiji like you know half decent. know like four or five year old kite um board like the board doesn't really matter like if it's beat up it's like surfing you know it's like whatever if it's beat up doesn't matter it still works so um, if you're gonna like just say if someone had a thousand dollars to spend on kiting i would say spend nine hundred dollars on the kite and a hundred dollars on the board because the kite is like your engine yeah Um, guys there was a company building like plywood boards and there's tons of guys who've made their own boards um, the board technology isn't that uh, isn't that crazy. You can pretty much ride anything. Actually, Lou Wyman, who was like one of the pioneers, once took out a lunch tray. It was ripping out on a lunch tray. So, <laughs> so. Nice. so I want to ask you about this, man. This article I read, this great article online, The Great Lakes, The Forgotten Coast by oh, yes. Bidaway. Yeah. And it said... Yeah. Having carefully crafted his skills during a full riding season in BC, Blanchard appeared to be years ahead of everyone else in the region with his polished skills and powerful riding style. He quickly became the poster child for Great Lakes high performance kiteboarding. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, that's my buddy. That's my buddy Joe. Okay. He's kind of embellishing that a little bit. <laughs> wow, that's some high praise, man. Uh, yeah, Joe and I, we, we go back. Um, we, so Joe, um, other than the time, so <laughs> there was one time, so we, we would always, if it was like Lake Michigan for like two years of my life, Lake Michigan was like, anytime it was good, we would, I was supply teaching. If it was like looking like a good day, I would just blow off supply teaching. Joe would, we would drive for the day to Lake Michigan. I drive over to Detroit. He had a big black Nash van. We would jump in the van. He'd drive like literally 95 miles an hour from Detroit, getting there in three hours in Grand Haven. We'd wow. kite all day and we'd drive back just, just for the day. And uh, the one time we stopped at the gas station, like halfway there, I was sleeping in the back. And uh, so we went to, he went to go get gas. So he's pumping gas. He goes in to pay. Well, I go in to go to the bathroom. I come back out and the van's gone. So I'm just like, the hell so i'm like calling him like i think i just got his cell phone this is like 2001 yeah. just like I'm, I'm trying to call him and eventually like maybe 20 minutes finally like he picks up his cell phone he's like hey i'm like hey I'm like what's going on it's like where are you i'm like i'm at the freaking gas station he's like oh shit i thought you were sleeping in the back <laughs> So he spins around and comes against me, but I, I literally, he just, yeah, he just thought I was in the van and, and took off and, and uh, I thought I was going to be spending the day in, in Michigan, just uh, wandering, wandering the highway back to, to Canada. 
that's awesome so yeah so joe and i we uh yeah we went to like we went on many many adventures um we be, basically were like trying to promote the sport of kiteboarding in the great lakes so um grand haven was like our big spot there was a uh, the mackinac kite company which became uh, matt kite um, okay. like one of the biggest uh kiteboarding retailers in like the world actually um in grand haven so we would do uh, like all their demos um if you've ever been to like grand bend picture grand bend times like 10 that's how busy it is in the summer it's just uh, grand insane. haven yeah grand haven is just uh like that was like our spot we spent like two summers pretty much every weekend there um any big big uh big wave day we were there and uh traverse city chicago uh, went to chicago a bunch of times and the u.s windsurfing championships for a week so yeah we uh we basically uh traveled uh, the great lakes trying okay. to get uh, people kiting 2000 yeah that was 2001 2002 that was some, some good times so tell me about this kite stock man were you a part oh, of yeah, the development <laughs> of this or what's that all about yeah that kite stock was my little thing um in so one of the cool spots on vancouver island is called lake mitnat and okay. it's this inlet of the uh, ocean that uh it, it basically is windy every single day um what happens is you've got the cold water on the coast. You've got this like valley that uh, gets hot during the day and it just sucks the wind into the valley. So every day it's like 20 knots. It's like people just go there. You spend, you know, you go there for a week and just like windsurf basically every day. It's like, it's like a party atmosphere. And they had this um, festival called Windfest, And uh, it was like, uh, it was like third weekend of July every summer, but uh, it was just like the coolest thing. It was just like, it wasn't a competition. It wasn't, it was like a fest. It was just like a get together that, you know, just, you know, there'd be a couple hundred windsurfers and they'd have like party at night and just, you know, kind of like races and demos during the day. So um, I wanted to have something like that in, in the Great Lakes, you know, and I didn't want to have like a competition. I want to have like a festival. Yeah. You know, have some bands, have stuff going on at the beach, just get everyone together. And uh, so, yeah, 2002, I think it was 2001, 2002 I, was the first year and just a little one. Um, I think there was like maybe like 10 guys at it and each year, year got a little bit bigger. And uh, who was the band the first year, your Bell River High School band? Um, no, it was a, it was, <laughs> it was a, a band, a kiter from Michigan, his band, I can't remember what they were called, eventually had there's a band called Ruth's Hat. So Mike Sloan, who is one of the kind of the OG kiters in the area, he uh, he had this band called Ruth's Hat. You should check him out. Okay. They, uh, I don't think they had some. They have some awesome songs. They were just they were like the the band of kite socks. So they played Ruth's Hat. Played a couple couple years, and uh, this band Stalefish, like this ska reggae band from uh, London, they played a couple years and. Uh, Oh, nice. What are the, what's their name again? Uh, Stalefish. I don't think, I don't know if they're Stalefish. around anymore. Oh, yeah, they're a really cool band. Um, so yeah, we'd have bands and just uh, like all like the reps would come and we'd usually get a couple pro riders in, in from, uh, from around the world and uh, Red Bull sponsored it. So we'd usually uh, get a couple of rounds. It was kind of cool. The one year I think 
we had like three rounds of Red Bull and vodka for like the whole bar. Whoa. It was kind of cool of Red Bull do that. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to have this like festival to bring. It was like in the spring to kind of like get the season started and bring together, you know, to get that community that like, it's kind of weird because, you know, um, the Great Lakes is weird because like out West, it's like Lake Nittinat, like everyone goes here. It's the windiest spot. It's like windy every day. So, you know, everyone from Vancouver, Victoria, up Island would meet there. But in the Great Lakes, it's so different. It's like, you've got a scattered group. Like there's a Detroit crew that rides at like Metro Beach. There's like the Concordian crew. You got like the Toronto crew. So you've got like, you know, maybe 10, 15 riders at all these spots around the Great Lakes. But I wanted to have this festival to bring them all together and uh, the appeal so i'd always have it like it was like the first windy weekend of may um because i could get people to come down because lake st Clair would be so warm so people would come down because they could be like going out in the shorty whereas like lake huron they'd still be in like five mil gloves and booties so i want to have it early spring pretty early to have the appeal to get people to come down from like colder areas and it became pretty big like we actually have like quite a few pro like Sam Medeski from Savile Beach. He's wow. like, he was top pro, like he was international team rider for Nash uh, and for fast kiting. And uh, Craig Cunningham is like the international team rider. He's from like Port Dover area. Um, he's international team rider for North and uh, Lauren from Starnia. She's international team rider for Cabrina now. So we got actually quite a few like top international pro riders that have come from the area which is kind of cool amazing you can you that you can actually ride in ontario and, and be able to get good enough you know where surfing you know it's it's you know you can get good but really if you want to be able to be at top like level pro you need to spend time in the ocean you, know? you need some realistic you know yeah you just can't get out enough in the great lakes whereas kiting um, especially with the foiling you could pretty much if i if in the, even in summer when we get our light wind, if I'm willing to drive two hours, I can pretty much find somewhere to foil kite like anywhere. Um, so it's kind of cool that, uh, you know, in summer you might get, you know, there are times where my son is 13 and he's like full on into surfing right now. Like he just, he wants to go to Concord and anytime, like it's cool now because he's actually checking it. If there's like a, a Northwest well for Concord he's like on it. He's like, dad, it's going to be like, you know, like he's three, four days out. He's like, it's going to be good. Like on Friday, can we go to Concord? And I'm like, this is kind of cool that like, I don't even have to check it anymore. You're like, you're checking, you know, the apps to see if there's going to be waves, surf radar all the time. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, what's your son's I mean, name again? Uh, Kai. Kai. <laughs> like about, yeah. he was stoked, <laughs> man. He was like, he was going hard. Yeah. I, I think the one day at Concord in the summer, we surfed about 10 hours wow. the one day and then six hours the next day. He's, uh, yeah, he's full on into it right now, which is kind of cool. He's next gen, man. Yeah, I want to get him. It's been, it sucks. He's been ready to kite for like the last couple of years, but um, the high water levels that we've had is, has made it really difficult. He's pretty short for his age. So okay. um, water that's waist deep on me is like over his head was up until this year. So um, it's, it's difficult to learn. He's so light. Like he's, he's like 70 pounds, so it's hard to get the right size kite. He might go um, up and never come down. Exactly. Yeah. That's and you know, if he if I put him out and then the wind just picks up like five miles an hour, then he's gonna be overpowered. And, uh, and you know, it's like it's like weird, like 
you know, even just being my son, it's like, I worry way more than I thought I'd worry. You know, it's like, there's a couple of times he's like, wants to go. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's pretty windy. It's probably too much. Even surfing at first, I was like, yeah, you know, it's like head high. Like you're only four foot five. Like it's, it's like double overhead for you, you know? Well, the day <laughs> we were out there, the waves are big. And I know he was doing his own thing. You were doing your own thing. I don't know if that's kind of cool listening to this or whatever, but I was thinking, <laughs> wow, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Like it's cool. Like and, it's uh, cool that now. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, up until this summer, I would be like right there. I'd be stopping okay. right beside him, but it's kind of cool now, especially it's so cool. Like in card, he's got a couple of his buddies, his age. Nice. Um, that he's Hudson is buddy from Toronto. That's pretty much, they have a cottage there. So anytime, uh, it's good they're there as well so him and hudson it's like and he doesn't really want to surf with me anymore it's like when hudson and his there's any kids his age he's like yeah dad go kite he's like doesn't he's like yeah why don't you it's kind of you'll be he'll actually be like it's kind of windy dad why don't you go kite I'm like what you know i'm like i think he's embarrassed that i'm a supper like usually at concord i'll go stuffing and not surfing yeah. and it's i think he's like kind of embarrassed by <laughs> like yeah dad you should probably go kiting I'm like wow you're not why cool. well, that's hilarious man especially the one day um he he did go out and jump on the pier and uh i was just like dude i saw him walking out there and i like like you're going to jump out on the pier he's like yeah <laughs> and uh it's kind of cool he graduated to jumping on the pier this summer and uh Hanging out, with, hanging out on the outside with the big boys now. <laughs> yeah, he was he was out in the deep stuff. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, man, tell me about that feeling of flying. What, like, I'm afraid of heights, <laughs> but I gotta say, I used to always think it'd be so cool to kiteboard and jump over the Leamington Dock. That part, oh that, yeah, the wooden part. <laughs> so, what's that sensation like, man? When you, you know, first of all, how do you mount up for that jump, and then what's it feel like? Um, the, the crazy part about jumping when it comes to kiting is that it is incredibly easy. Like literally, um, there are guys now that maybe, um, might have a couple days of riding under their belt and you can literally start jumping, you know, whereas surfing, like picture, you know, going out in like overhead high, like lake waves, like, you know, you need to put a little bit of time and some small stuff, you know, get used to paddling out because you know what it's like to get out on those days. It's so hard to get out. Um, so you you got to put in your time to be able to like get in like some serious surf in the great lakes but hiding to jump you literally the first day you can jump wow so um, guys that are not really that good riders yet like they've just maybe only have like 10 hours of riding under their belt you know can start jumping and uh and flying which is crazy i don't know there's many other sports that you know with so little time you can start to do extreme stuff yeah um so basically you're just you're riding along and literally um you just basically send the kite in the opposite direction that you're going and it actually slingshots you into the air so uh, you don't even need a wave so you use the kite to propel yourself up um and it's the technique to do it is literally pulling a bar and doing like this is literally technique like that's all it is <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like you turn the bar while you're riding the other way you jump and then you turn it back like that's as easy as like there, there's there's nothing else to it um yeah and and it's cool you can you know you don't need that height you can just ride and just jump off waves as well um yeah. but 
if you do the wave and the jump at the same time, that's where you get the huge air. So if you see oh, like guys in card getting big air, they're lining up a wave. So they're going out, lining up a wave. And so they go off the wave to jump and then they send the kite at the same time. And that's where you can get maybe like twice as high. Wow. So when you see like pictures of guys getting like massive, like 50, 60 feet, they're usually oh. using a wave as the ramp to get them that extra boost of the pipe. But it's cool. Yeah. You literally, you get up there, you're just like, you're just floating. You can actually like just kind of look around and, and just, you just slowly come down. So wow. that is the cool part. Eventually it becomes a parachute. You just come down really slowly. So, so is there any uh, risk of the, uh, sail losing its its glide or anything and you just you know oh, yeah and involving oh, yeah. 50 feet now yeah yep yeah there's uh there's that where you jump um the kite does something called luffing out where it actually just falls so you're maybe 50 feet up the kite lefts out and you just literally just drop as if there's nothing so you just get dropped Oof. from that height so that can happen which really sucks um yeah the older kite the older kites used to do it a lot the newer kites are pretty stable they don't do it that much but if you really mess up the jump it's going to happen um so then what kind then, of depths are you going out into when you're kiting um like water wise yeah, you're going into the deeper stuff or oh yeah you can well you can go as far as you want but again the rule with kiting is you don't ever really want to ride when you're beginning especially farther than you're willing to swim oh, okay. so i mean shit happens like i've had um you know like bladder explode on me before i've had a line snap on me so i mean you, you're if you're riding out five miles from shore and that happens i mean you're you're swimming back in so uh wow. generally you'll see guy most guys you, you, they don't go that far out you, you don't want it. like some you know experienced riders like sometimes even actually today i at one point I kind of rode way the heck out. I maybe rode like two miles out into Lake Erie wow. and uh, turned. just, it's like, sometimes it's cool to just ride out so that you get to like, you know, when you're on a boat and you're just like shoreline is just like yeah. on the horizon. And so sometimes it's cool to do that, but you have to realize that if something goes wrong, yeah. uh, you, you need to be self-reliant and you're going to have to get back somehow. So do you have generally, any... sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I was going to say, do you have any goals like to say kite to Pelee Island or across a great lake or anything like that? Um, yeah, we've talked about doing a lot of stuff like that. Like, you know, there's that paddle across Lake Ontario that kind of uh, started. We, we talked about doing the uh, a paddle or sorry, a, paddle, a kite across to Point Pelee a lot from point peely to like peely island like stuff like that is yeah. like um like a, a crossing like that official thing um, but uh yeah i don't know it doesn't really appeal too much right now the type of crossing thing i always wanted to have like a uh an event at sea cliff beach actually um, in the fall it can get really good like you know the waves can especially like those waves for surfing are, you know they're okay but like for kiting those are actually perfect waves yeah um they're close together um uh, they're super steep so uh, like for kiting um wave kiting sea cliff is a super awesome spot especially the bounce back oh, the sure. uh <laughs> the mini wedges we call it you know i'm sure you're you're aware of what i'm talking about the the waves they hit the pier they come back and you get the uh 
the interference, the, oh, yeah. the double up waves. It's just so, like soup. I just remember being in a giant soup bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I think I sent you one, a picture. I was out there a couple, maybe a month ago on a, like a 30 knot Southwest day. And my buddy came out and got some, some pictures and yeah. um, kind of got a picture with like, in, in, there was a bunch of troughs in front of me. And then you can see like just the random peaks everywhere around me. And honestly, that's what I grew up surfing in. So when I got to the ocean, I was like, couldn't believe when I saw what I how easy to, how easy it is to paddle out. Yeah. You mean all waves aren't like it was this giant choppy soupy mess? Like I couldn't believe. Yeah. It. Yeah, the stuff you were out in, I used to work on a fishing boat, and you no, know, it would get really rough out in Lake Erie. And the stuff oh, yeah. you were in looked like you were out in the middle of the lake somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy how um, when you get offshore on Lake Erie, because the problem is it's so shallow in most spots that it's they're breaking a mile offshore. Yeah. So you don't really see, like, you've got the waves inshore, they're breaking, but, like, when you get out kiting, you can get out past the break and get out into the open lake, and you see how big the waves out there get. They get pretty pretty awesome, especially, um, you know, like, Sea Cliff is – you know what i don't know there's maybe 30 40 kilometers of fetch so you know you can only get maybe you know on biggest days like head high but um yeah. i'm really obsessed with the point peely the the east side of point peely now because when you get an east or northeast wind you've got like a full 200 you know you've got from buffalo all the way to point peely that full fetch wow. i remember reading an article like the the biggest lake uh sorry the biggest wave recorded on the great lakes actually was off point peely Really, like twenty-eight feet in from a like a, a uh, like the, the the highest official recording from a uh, like a freighter was like average wave height Holy was twenty-eight man. feet for like uh, like a thirty-minute period or something. I had no idea. And My home break. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> jaws of the Great Lakes. <laughs> wow. And so yeah, on I guess it was like one of those like dying hurricanes with the northeast that uh, blew for like two days, like fifty knots. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was like they were getting the freighter was getting you know twenty eight uh, foot uh, dominant periods, but dominant heights. But, yeah, it can get. Um, Erio has become my big spot. There's uh, here at Erio, and um, the waves actually kind of wrap in and. Uh, it's like groundswell. If it's big enough, but it's got to be really big. It's like if the buoy's not six feet or above. It's not working. It's got to be uh-huh. those like magical, like, you know, yeah. eight, 10 foot Northeast days that uh, it works on. But it's uh, actually the, it's weird. Um, kind of words getting out a little bit, like at Hillman Marsh, it, there's a really good spot. And uh, last fall I was out and uh, just these two random people are out surfing and I'm just like, what are these two random people doing out in my spot? They're from they're from GTA, and they uh, just like took a map out and were like figured that it would be good there, and uh, yeah, they were out surfing. They're like, yeah, they were like super stoked on it, and even uh, we had one really big day about two years ago, and uh, the uh, the crew from Toronto, what's that surf spot? Surf Ontario. A couple of guys from Surf Ontario. Yep. I think the owners were there yeah, surfing. So, yeah. It was a pretty pretty awesome day. I mean, you know, you know how rare that is. It's, uh, you know, a couple times a year. Yeah. But uh, when they happen, it's they're pretty magical. Oh yeah, you gotta be there. Yeah. 
So I just want to go back to that kite stock for a minute. Mm -hmm. Is that still happening or? No. Um, so like Kai was born in uh, 2007, Keely 2008. And I think 2009 oh. was the last year. Yeah. With the kids, it just became too uh, difficult. And especially um, the first years, it was pretty small. So I didn't, you know, get permits or anything. It was small yeah. enough that, uh, but then it got big enough that I was like, I get permits and like find places for everyone to stay instead of just crashing in their car and crashing at our house. So one year we had like 50 people tented at our house in Wallsburg. And uh, yeah, so it became too big to like just be me. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of help though, like Terry Bodart, good friend, who was like a rep for one of the kite companies. He helped me out a ton. So once the kids are in college, kite stock might return. <laughs> I try actually two years ago I tried to have a, a mini kite stock okay. at Erio. It was uh, like a twenty knot northeast wind. Um, so it was a really the waves were really good, but it was a little bit side offshore, and um, there were some like more beginnerish kiters from Detroit that had showed up. There was maybe like twenty or thirty of us, and uh, two of them had to get. I had to go rescue them and then the uh someone called the fire department they had to they got their zodiac out to try to rescue them but i had already rescued them and it just became a big uh <laughs> so right. i'm just like yeah i think i'll put it on hold again <laughs> like wait a couple more years and i uh, love dude that i miss more it than just a kite surfer you're like you're a true waterman dude you know the you know how it works you've tried and tested it you've you know, you went out there, you know what it's like in this condition and that direction. I mean, it's really neat, man. It's like you wrote the book on kite surfing. Out there. I, well, I put my time in for sure. Yeah. Um, a little bit obsessed with it. Um, so as a, as a teacher, what yes. fuels the, so what's the subject you teach is science, right? Yeah, I'm science. Yeah, biology yeah. and science. So does your love for uh, water sports fuel your desire for, you know, learning and, and knowing science or did science lead you to the fascination with, with water? Um, well, like I've always been fat, like from a young age, like weather, I've just grew up like obsessed with weather, like, you know, in the winter, like trying to track the snowstorms and, and, uh, just, I'd always be, you know, I'm glad that there was no internet when I was growing up because I probably would have just been constantly like checking weather apps yes, and I would have just like nowadays, like that's kind of the appeal of kiting. Kiting is so related with the weather. Like you pretty much, if you want to kite, you have to become a weatherman yeah. because uh, if, you know, like today, for example, um, because of the cold water, um, there was no wind. Like I finished school. And I was just like, I got to go ride. It's like one of the last days that it's warm. And uh, I look at the observations and sea cliff is literally four miles an hour. Yet it's supposed to be cranking. But what happens is the cold water of Lake Erie is basically forming a dome. It's same as a marine. It's like a marine layer. So you got the warm wind. It kind of hits the lake and it gets pushed up over it. And then doesn't come back down to like, you know, there's kind of like the hill. Like kind of just uh, like middle of of Leamington so it kind of comes back to the surface on that hill and then it's super windy like the wind turbines are just like cranking they're going 
like, you know, three, four seconds or revolution. Yet you go down the steep cliff and there's literally not a breath of wind. So um, that hill and marsh spot, because it's inland a little bit and there's the marsh, the water in the marsh is warm. Uh, so there was wind there, yet there was like sea cliff, which is like five, you know, 10 minute drive away. There was literally no wind, not a breath of wind. So, you know, like these little localized weather things you have to, you know, just by trial, trial and error or by just studying weather, you have to like really, if you want to get a session, you've got to be on it. You've got to know um, so much about weather. Like I should have, actually, I thought of going into like becoming a meteorologist, but like there was one program offered in oh. Halifax and I was all about going to the West Coast, not the East Coast when I was like in high school. So yeah. I'm like, but now I, I'm like, I should have went in. Weather really is my calling. I mean, I enjoy biology and, you know, the environmental sciences and like geology. Um, but like weather is like really my calling. Weather is where it's really up. enjoy. I enjoy like the forecasting aspect of kiting as much as the ride. Wow. I just, uh, for a long time, uh, I was like the go-to guy. Like I'd always, always get emails and texts about, even still, you know, people usually text me to ask me spot maybe. It's kind of interesting, like with these water sports, the lifestyle that goes along with it. I mean, you know, at one time, the stereotype was that surfers were all like, uh, you know, I'm, for, I'm forgetting the name right now, but the guy from Fast Times at Ridgemount High. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, I'm going to kill myself for not knowing. Yeah, I can't think of it either. Spicoli, Spicoli. So, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of burnout or whatever, but like, yeah. you know, kiters and Great Lakes surfers, I mean, these are, uh, another guest I had on called them water physicists. I mean, a lot <laughs> of these people really know the patterns and there's a real science to it. And then, you know, oh, you yeah, have people who are into making surf music or, you know, making artwork, like it really, it's interesting how it can infiltrate your life in different ways and you can latch on to one side of it or another. Like for me, I mean, I, the weather, that's a struggle for me. It's a stretch for me, the science understanding it all. I'm, I'm constantly learning and trying to understand it. It doesn't come naturally like let's say music or art or right. English skills, things like this. So, but it's really cool, man. And Hey, so, where does so now tell me about the foil and the wing where does oh, the foiling. come in yeah <laughs> um foiling right yeah foiling has been an obsession for the last couple of years um my buddy uh harry he uh he started building foils like five or six years ago he started building them and really uh, piqued the interest uh locally and uh the, the appeal for us was to be able to go in super light wind. Um, so days where it wouldn't be enough wind to um, kite board with a normal board, okay. you can kite surf because there's so little resistance. Okay. You just need a little bit of power from the kite just to get you going. Once you're up on the foil, you just literally are weightless and there's no resistance. Mm. So you need very, very little power from the kite. And that's why the wing works. Like, if you just try to wing with just like a set board, you can do it, but you're just putzing around. 
The yeah. appeal of the wing is with the foil board. You just need a bit of power from the wing to get you up on foil. Once you're up on foil, you're just like holding the wing as if there's like nothing there. Like there's very little, like a lot of people with the wing foiling think that at first they're like, it's pretty physical, isn't it? Like your arms must get tired, your shoulders, but it's pretty much once you start going, the, the wing becomes weightless and um, you just are holding on to it's actually It's actually lifting you up a little bit. So um, it's not very uh, physical, not physically demanding at all. It's, it's easier, way easier than um, a lot of guys are calling wing foiling like the uh, old man sport because a lot of, you know, a lot of the older experienced kiters and windsurfing windsurfers are turning to it because it's very easy on the body. Like yeah. kiting, you're, you know, you're kind of pounding when you jump, you land pretty hard, but foiling, you just get up and you're just, you're hovering, you know, the, the, there's not much pull on the, the wing. You're just kind of gliding around. It's, it's just effortless. It's just, it's just easy and effortless once you figure it out. It's definitely a learning curve. Um, there's definitely a lot of people struggling, trying to figure out um, the wing foiling and just the foiling in general. Um, like I, I didn't anticipate. So um, I've been kite foiling for like four years. Um, this was the, the first year that I started um, like sup foiling and wing foiling. And I really didn't think I was going to like wing foiling. I kind of thought the wing was kind of kooky, to be honest. This like hand wing, it's like, why not just kite? Kite can, you can jump with it and stuff. Just seemed like way better. But I was more into wanting to be able to sup foil waves. Yeah. I, just, I was hoping to like be able to go in days where, you know, there's like a, a waist high, small wave, just, you know, get up on the foil, ride it. And the, the whole pumping thing to be able to like pump back out, not even paddle. And just kind of, you see like Kai Lenny prone foil yeah. surfing and he just, you know, catches a wave, ride, like pumps back out, catches the next wave, just like endless and the endless wave. Just, yeah. I was like for the great lakes, this is perfect. You know, like yeah. waste, you don't, you do not want waste, like anything bigger really than chest high for that. Like okay. small waves, small mushy waves are what foiling excels. In. So I kind of was like, this is the shit. This is like the sport that is like destined to take off in the Great Lakes. Um, so I didn't anticipate, I bought a wing just to have one to kind of like to demo it and kind of just to be able to know if people like asked about it, um, a little bit about it. Um, I fell in love with it. I'm up until like the last couple sessions that I, I've kited, but all summer I was just either supping in the waves with my son or wing foiling. I basically didn't kite all summer. It was just all I wanted to do was get better and better at the, the wing foil. And uh, the sup foiling, uh, the, the sup wing foiling, I thought there's so many variations now. It's like, I, I know it's like confusing. It's like there's wing foiling, there's sup foil, sup wave foiling. There's like, you know, prone foiling. It's just like, yeah. uh, I'm trying to people like the wing. Thing. What are you riding? What are you? Right? People like, so it's confusing too. the wing. Are you talking about the hand wing or the foil wing? So like, yeah, yeah. like usually I'll say foil, foil referring to the thing under the water wing is the thing that you hold on to. Some people call the foil a wing. So it's just, yeah, it's super confusing. So I was thinking the wing as like the rudder on the bottom of the foil, but then the yes. wing is also the kind of like a kite thing like, that you hold on to. Yeah. But it, it's almost like a wind sail and the fact that it's yes. 
you hang on to it and it's right in front of yeah. you, not way up in the air. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's basically a, uh, the wing is basically a windsurfing mast, like a windsurfer without the mast, like the connection to the board. Gotcha. Basically, you're just you're holding the sail and it's just kind of floating around. Yeah. Um, the beauty of that is though, it's like it's not tethered to the board and you can kind of, if you if you watch some videos, there are some guys that are getting really good in the waves. You literally um, you use the wing just like kiting. You use the wing, the hand wing, to like power you into a wave. Then you catch the wave and you literally just hold on to the wing with one hand, kind of above your head, and you just are riding the wave while the wing is just like literally. Some guys are actually letting go of it. They've got a you've got a wrist leash. They let go of it, ride the wave, and when they're done riding it, they just pull the leash, grab it, and just use it. Again, it's trying to eliminate paddling. No wow. one likes paddling. No. <laughs> the future. But if, if you don't need to paddle, if you can use the wind and you don't need to paddle, there should be no no paddling. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, now like we're getting, man, this is amazing. The technology, like, you know, and now there's e-foils and things. I mean, e-foil. It's, it's just crazy. Like it goes from. I mean, even I think about, uh, you know, one wheel skateboards and all these kind of things. I mean, yeah, the, uh, the exercise portion of some of these things is being eliminated a bit and we're just getting into the riding, you know, it's yeah, pretty wild. Wow. So I thought that the, uh, so supping with the foil board was going to be something that I was going to like love. Okay. I kind of, it's it's tough. There's like, you might have seen there's one guy at Concord who's been, he's been out a couple times. I think he's like, I think he's like uh, on Instagram, like Oil Surf Canada, I think. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. He's been out a couple times. He's usually like down away from the pier, like further down past most of the surfers, like further to the south. You'll see him out sometimes. He's he's really ripping up. Like I've seen him a couple times and he's just like, you know, like, small waist high waves and he, i've seen him now he's he's able to pat like just pump out and catch another wave but i don't know I, I i probably put in you know like half a dozen sessions maybe like 10 hours and it's it's hard yeah so it's you start like, with the foil under the water yeah okay. so you 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 see a wave coming you paddle and as the wave you start to catch the wave you you come out of the water but okay. i find that you, i would usually shoot out like it's it's you would you would get so much speed that you would shoot out like my foil would come on the water and I'd literally just like wipe out and explode and and uh, I just uh, it, it it's tough like people that are riding and doing it well are definitely impressive because it, it's 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 tough. Okay. And even just getting you picture getting out in like um, getting out on like a pretty you know like hard day with that huge foil under the water waiting to like you know think about a surfboard how many times you get hit by the board yeah. think of now that big foil in the water that's like you know like just rolling around like oh, hits your arm and yeah so it's just uh i don't you know you can't just put on the surfer's helmet <laughs> <laughs> this thing you need like a shield of armor even the so the front when you probably seen the front wing is pretty big the back wing is usually pretty narrow and pretty like pointy and there's wow. been times where i've kicked it by accident like sliced my foot open just by kicking oh. it by accident like so you picture if you're in like overhead high waves and the thing like you know 
gets smashed in your head it's i just uh yeah so i've kind of gone away from that and i just i think i'll be mostly if it's like head high i'll be just stop surfing and all these sports you're talking about all you're wearing a life jacket for all of them right yeah 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 just like an impact that's not like a a, like not a a coast guard approved but definitely have float enough float but if i got knocked out i'd probably be in trouble yeah in my early days i didn't have i didn't wear anything Okay. Not until not until I had kids did I actually start really wearing. Yeah. Do you wear helmets or anything for these? Um, or? There's helmets a tough one because when you kite and sometimes you come down so hard that um, definitely I know there's times where I'm sure I would have actually done more damage coming down with the helmet and hitting the water um, that impact the jarring on the neck so. Um, there have been a lot of guys that have worn helmets that have had that issue. And I don't know, I've never really had any, I just, I, I can't really see any time where hiding the board would, um, hit me in the head or come close to my head or so I don't usually, I don't wear a helmet. I'm snow kiting and stuff on like snowboarding hundred percent. Um, but on the water, um, the, the big reason why uh, helmets were, uh, pushed for kiting for a long time is because a lot of guys used to use leashes so they would tether their themselves to the board well what would happen is um like when you're surfing you can just like kind of wipe out and like the board's kind of around there but what happens with the kite if you wipe out the kite can like drag you as if you're getting pulled by a boat like 20 miles an hour so what happens is if the kite's pulling you really hard that leash will load up and when the board comes out of the water, it can like just come and just projectile at you. Oh, so there were people that were killed in the early days where the board tombstone came out of the water, just like slingshot and hit him oh. in the head. And, and, uh, so, so you're not attached to the board then you don't have, no, to- not, you're not okay. yet. So you're not tethered. So there's a technique. So if you wipe out, there's a technique where you actually use the kite to bring you back to the board. Oh, okay. Wow. Like in concard, it kind of sucks sometimes. Like you wipe out, and a wave will take the board, and then you like you're oh, like yeah. in the waves, and you're like trying to find the board. So um, yeah. it, it kind of sucks sometimes, but uh, in in flat water, it's not really an issue. Yeah. But definitely, yeah, you don't want to be tethered. There's still some guys that if if you do tether, you have to wear a helmet because there's that potential that it could slingshot back at you and hit you. And guys have had like their faces. Yeah. So, dude, you mentioned snow kiting, man. What yes. is that about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're living in Owen Sound. You're going to need to learn about snow kiting. You're living in, like, wow. you know, the, wow. the epicenter of the snow belt. So, okay. you should well, be. I know there's a bunch of kiters in Oliphant. So, yeah, snow kiting is, yeah, Luther, uh, I think Luther, Lutheran March, just south of you. That's one of the big spots. Um, Bass Lake. Uh, just uh, not in Aurelia. Yeah, just the side of Aurelia. That's like the big yeah. spot that most of the guys snow kite. So, um, so they do it on kiting, the- kiting as if. So instead of on the water, you're just using the exact same kite, exact same gear uh, with the snowboard or skis. Wow. That really is what changed everything for me because moving back to Ontario, the fact that I wouldn't be able to windsurf all winter, like I couldn't have done it, but really kiting is what kept me back here because the snow to be able to continue 
the sport in the winter because if you don't windsurf all winter, um, you basically lose it. So you basically every season living in Ontario windsurfing, you kind of, you know, you start off in the spring, you get pretty good in the summer, you develop your skills and then you don't ride all winter. So you kind of, it's yeah. hard to get good because you have that big, that big gap. Yeah. yeah. So you have that big gap and it makes it tough to progress. So, but with kiting, um, you can continue in the winter and all the tricks that you would do on the water, you can still do on the snow. And then on the snow, there's the easy thing to like throw up a rail or build a little ramp. So there's all these like extra things that, um, like we actually, uh, in Detroit, we had 2002, we put on Red Bull and myself and Joe, uh, we put on, uh, called the Michigan meltdown. We put on a snow kite event and, uh, for like a month, I built boxes and rails in my uh, my friend's garage, and um, I brought them over to Michigan in the back of my van. My van was just like full of wood and and rails, and we set it all up. And uh, we had this uh, this one day kite event uh, on Cass Lake, just outside of Detroit. And we had it was really awesome. We had like maybe a hundred guys out for it. It was like pretty cool. Um, and uh, so, yeah, th- that whole aspect is pretty cool to be able to build rails and, and ramps and bo- fun boxes. And uh, just, I mean, here in Essex County, problem is we don't get much snow, but when we do get snow, literally, I'd like leave work and I would just look for a big field, just pull off the side of the road, pump up my kite, go for a session and jump back in the car and head home, like just anywhere. It's like so cool to be able to just like pull over the side of the road. You know, it's literally five minutes, pump up the kite, catch the lines, rip around for an hour and pack it up, go home and zip like up and Man, give you a board or a food tray any time of year and you'll figure out <laughs> something to do with it. <laughs> so that was, that, yeah, the snow kiting aspect of like the first year that I, the first time I snow kite, I was just like, oh my God, now I definitely have to stay in Ontario because Wow. I can now ride in the in the winter, and uh, that's how I met most of uh, like there's this there was a really awesome crew of riders from like the Barry area that I hooked up with, and yeah. like 2001, 2002, 2003, we like they would come down. They would basically in the spring come down to my place in Bell River, crash on weekends and ride. And in the winter, I would crash up at their place in Barry, and and we'd snow kite pretty much every weekend. Yeah. Those were the days. That's awesome. So, okay. So you're doing that now. What about, let's say, uh, kiting on a skateboard, kiting on a dirt board. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all things. Even the winging actually, when I first got the wing back. Um, so I picked up all the gear and went to Hatteras at March break and came back and uh, the water was still pretty cold. So the first time I winged was actually at the LDSS parking lot with Kai. So I was on my skate on my longboard, just like putzing around in the, and it's, you can do that. It's, it's, wow. it's awesome that you've got, um, snow, you've got, uh, ash. You can just, uh, when I was living in Victoria, the big thing we would take, um, we actually rigged up skateboards with a, uh, a mass in the, uh, the board just bolted onto it. And we'd windsurf around, at the end of Clover Point in Victoria, it was like this this big parking lot that came out in the ocean. So it was nice, clean wind and this huge parking lot. So we just like do circles around this parking lot on our on our windsurfing skateboards. 
Oh, that's amazing, man. During the winter when it was like, you know, pretty cold, like five degrees Celsius, kind of like didn't really want to go in the water. So we'd, uh, we'd session there on our skateboards. Man, now that I'm hanging out with you, I'm going to have to get a bigger toy box. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like when I was trying to think of like the name for my company, I was like, I didn't want to make it like, I didn't want to make it geographically limited and that, so that's why I like like some like want to be like hand or gray lakes or and uh I didn't want to have it kiting because it's like I felt like I wasn't a kite like a kite but I'm more like a surfer I want to like this, this I was always in like the surf culture surfing kiting kind of always seemed a little like kooky like okay you know, flying a little kite at the park <laughs> yeah. um, I was more like uh so you know I was like trying to come on come up with my name and wanted to be like and then and two I think maybe I'd move back to Victoria. So I was like surf culture Canada, try to be very broad and just like, you know, not just kiting, not just I want to be like, you know, it's, it's all about being a waterman, like yeah. surfing, supping, you know, kiting, boiling. Uh, that's always been my thing. I want to be good at everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh actually when I did my uh instructors clinic in uh, Cape Hatteras in 2000. There was this guy from Michigan who was doing as well, uh, James Otis. And uh, we became really good friends and uh, he moved, ended up moving down to Dominican. And uh, I think in like 2007, he won the master in the ocean competition, which was uh, surfing, windsurfing and kiting competition. So he was like master of the ocean world champion, which was I thought kind of wow. super cool that a guy from Michigan. Yeah. You know, Moved down to Cabarete and uh, became, you know, basically the, the master of the ocean. Yeah, no, I mean these Great Lakes guys are not to be underestimated. I mean Tom Blake, no, definitely not Johnson. Um, you know Kelly Slater, not the Great Lakes, but you know Florida. So yeah, yeah don't underestimate the uh, guys on the peripheral. So, so dude, what is the future for, you know, surf culture Canada or, you know, while you're on here, what are you offering to people that they should come check out? Um, I've really been, uh, trying to promote the foiling. I think, uh, foiling is, uh, the cool thing with foiling is that, uh, you can learn it just behind like a boat. Um, so if you want to do any foiling, if you want to kite foil, if you want to wing foil, if you want to like surf foil or even like sup foil in small waves, like you have to learn just the basics of the foil. And uh, like I have a CDU that I use for uh, teaching people. And um, so I don't need any, like I just need um, flat water and pretty much um, we can always find flat water. So problem is with kiting it's it's limited waves you know we got the conditions you know we don't always get perfect conditions um but to teach people how to foil you know i can actually book a lesson for like 8 8 a.m saturday morning because i can find a spot where there's going to be either protection or on a river um, and just teach people the basics of the foiling so once you learn the basics of just foiling behind the sea you can then now look at kite foiling at step foiling at surf foiling um, opens up all those foil sports so that's really been exciting that uh, <clears throat> i can teach that in a controlled environment and uh, anywhere and be able to to schedule lessons and not be 
Um, like with kiting, it's like, you know, I'll get someone, you know, like, oh, can I book lesson for like, you know, September 23rd? And it's like, sure, we can book it, but any more than two days out, I have no clue if there's going to be wind, you know, even the day before, sometimes it's like, uh, you know, there might be wind, there might not. So scheduling for kiteboarding here is just, I mean, really anywhere. I mean, even in the spots that have, quote, guaranteed wind, it's, you know, it's uh, not always guaranteed. Uh, so it makes it running a kiteboarding school in the Great Lakes, and there, there are lots. And uh, it's it's something that you could never do full time because it's just so difficult to schedule. And I know there were a lot of guys maybe like five, 10 years ago trying to do it full time. And, you know, a lot of them were teaching at like Salvo Beach, but living in like Kitchener, Waterloo. So they would like, say schedule lessons at Salvo Beach for a full day and sometimes there'd be no wind so they drove to they would drive there they would spend the whole day there basically not make any money but have spent all that money on gas and their right. time and so it, it's just really a difficult thing to do even people a lot of times will get frustrated with the instructors because they feel like you know they're, they're almost like blowing them off but it's it's not that it's like you know someone wants a lesson tomorrow, but there's no wind. I, I can't, we can't do a lesson. There has to be yeah. 10 miles an hour wind. So, they, you know, that's why the, the foiling is super ex exciting that I can basically schedule that anytime. And uh, we just, we don't need any, we're not looking for any perfect conditions. It can just be, you know, it's a little choppy even, it doesn't matter. But you're doing that with the jet ski, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like the jet ski is, is uh, really works well. Until you can get people like, just pumping like you said but that's not something that's like pump. way yeah that's, <laughs> that's like way in the future stuff. yeah okay. so and even and then the, also it's so cool because just behind the sea with the the um the foil is is so fun it's it's you're flying it is such wow. a cool experience and it's pretty easy to learn um the gear has gotten really good really beginner friendly whereas even like year two years ago it was pretty difficult um the advancements in the, the foiling gear is is just um been like in the last two years it's advanced so much and become much more user friendly much more beginner friendly much easier to get into and uh it's just uh super exciting like the foiling has really opened up and then it opens up like just uh, like wave spots that would be crappy for any other type of surfing um and uh yeah. kiting being able to kite in super light wind where you could never normally kite so the foiling is really uh, not only is it just cool foiling in itself it just opens up so many more possibilities of getting out on the water in so many different spots like that weren't that good before now yeah. perfect like surf spots yeah you know, I've been teaching stand-up paddleboarding and uh, surfing every Saturday for the entire. How did your? Um, I know you did those retreats in Concord. How did those go? Yeah, they're going fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. what I'm referencing. So we do, yeah. you know, basically half a day of sup, and then half a day of surfing. And you know, every Saturday it's a, you know it's a gamble whether there's going to be waves or not. And we've had more flat days than wave days. And I tell you, right. no one has left disappointed. Like everyone is stoked. Mm -hmm. Even the flat water session, I'm, I'm actually 
blown away by how much fun people are having. And, um, you know, just the desire to come back. It just kind of, you know, lets their whistle a little bit. They get that, especially with these these sup boards with a lot of volume mm-hmm. and a bit of a push. I mean, you get people, you know, people standing on a board going a couple feet. I mean, that's surfing for them. So it's, a, right. it's man, it's awesome just watching people get stoked. I think that that's stoking me more, just being a part of right. that. So. And you, man, you're like teaching people how to fly. I mean, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta try that out, man. You, you got me sold. Like I said, I'm a bit afraid of heights, but I like that speed element and the idea of just being surrounded by chaos, like all those waves <laughs> and somehow navigating through it. That sounds quite cool. There's an appeal there. The uh, foiling um, is weird because. Um, the, the foils have gotten really big, so the wings under the water. Um, they've gotten so big that, like, you're only going, like, six miles an hour. So the boat, like, so I've got the Sea-Doo set at, like, six miles an hour. As soon as I hit six, seven miles an hour, you have, that's when you lift up. So it's very, like, easy because you're going so slow. There's not, like, like wakeboarding. I don't know if you ever, like, wakeboard or water ski. Like, you're going pretty fast. You're going, you know, 50, the boat's maybe going, like, 12, 15 miles an hour which at, when you're learning seems really fast, but I'm literally, um, especially I've been teaching on a sup foil board. So they start on their knees. So you basically, when the sea is just starting, they're just on their knees, holding onto the rope. I start give a little bit of gas. They just slowly stand up. So you basically just like get up like off your knees and you're just standing there going three, four miles an hour. And then I just slowly get faster, faster. And like six, seven miles an hour, like literally like jogging speed. That's how fast we're going. Wow. And that's all the speed you need because the foils have gotten so large. And so they have so much lift that you can go that slow. So um, like, I don't know, there used to be this thing called an air chair, there, which is like the origin of like the whole like foiling oh, thing. Yeah, I know about this. So yeah. the air chair was so sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> and the foil was like tiny, so you would have to go like 15 miles an hour. So to get up on foil, you'd have to be going so fast. And then if you wiped out, it was like crazy. Um, but you're, you know, picture you're going seven miles an hour. So when you wipe out going seven miles an hour, like you just like fall off the board. So it, it's very, it feels very safe, very easy. Yeah. Um, well, I've seen these uh, like foil sit like sailboats and i mean these things have yeah. opened up a lot i i'm excited to see what else people start foiling on eventually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lake uh, yeah, the... foil or yeah <laughs> so i saw we... someone talking about like actually like basically um just having where you just are on a foil and you're just like attached to the foil like there's no board trying to like come up with some like human weird thing like that. <laughs> yeah. human foiling good ornament <laughs> foiling yeah so dude before uh i let you go here you got any advice for anybody looking to get into the sport of kiting um yeah you definitely want to take a lesson um, the main reason to take a lesson, not only to, of course, learn the basics and be safe, is that, uh, like, your instructor will have all the proper gear. Um, the issue is that um, 
the gear that you need is very specific to the wind speed. So you would literally, to cover all the wind ranges, you need like five, ten thousand dollars worth of gear to uh, make sure that like you know, surfing, you know, like no matter what, you can go on like a fun board, but you know, kiting is very specific. Like, you know, when you get good at surfing, of course you got a short board. When it's good, you got like a long board, you got foamy, you just have fun. Like you've got more than one board, of course. But like kiting, you basically from the get-go, you have to be like you have to have specific gear for the conditions. So um basically you would have to like have a ton of gear or not have the right gear to start off with. Um, so like having to go, so if you're going to take a lesson from an instructor, they'll have all the beginner gear and then, um, have the, the right gear for the wind speed, which is really important because, you know, kiting is dangerous. There've been a lot of, a lot of fatalities, even still nowadays there, there are some fatalities, just weather's in, unpredictable. Um, you know, you're out kiting thunderstorm squall wind comes in and guy gets lit, lifted, thrown into building. Like wow. you have to, that's why like kiting, you have to be very aware of especially to have an instructor who's aware of the wind and knowing the local conditions um, because there are certain weather conditions that aren't favorable for kiting where like on my shell beach, it's windy, but I just know that those uh, conditions are unstable and uh, it's just not safe to kite. Yeah. So, so why not take really a lesson with uh, Canada's first kite school <laughs> and kite instructor? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of great schools around. Um, so I wouldn't say just, uh, push me, but there's like, especially it's Detroit. There's like four kite schools in Detroit. Detroit is actually has a really big kite scene because Joe and I like you know, from 2000, we're really pushing the sport and it's cool. Nash really saw that they were like, well, you know, um, we can push kiting and Maui and all these like exotic beach locations, but like they want to push it in like Detroit. They want to push it in like Chicago, like these places, you know, people have money, they're looking for stuff. They figured that that was really the places where kiting could take off where, um, you know, we don't get super awesome conditions, but they're perfect for learning and, and you can progress. Um, Just don't so, try you know, kiting across that Detroit river, man. <laughs> illegal. Not, they will not you like that. Build a wall. You'll just run into or something. <laughs> uh actually you should if you type in like detroit river kiting you'll you'll probably see a couple of my videos there's okay. one from like 2001 actually i had the, the coast guard come behind me and uh they were like it's funny in the video it looks like they're like trying to arrest me or like i mean they were just like curious they're like dude they're like what are you doing they're like all like asking me quite i'm like trying to ride and they're like wait we got another question i'm like i'm trying to ride here wow they were just uh and actually once I was kiting, um, so where I ride, the Renaissance Center the is like right there. And um, the one day I actually uh, was kiting there and I put my kite in the water and I was in the water for like a long time. I couldn't get my kite launched and my board got away from me. So I was in the water for maybe like 10 minutes. And uh, I finished my session, I came in and uh, this lady comes and starts talking to me. And she's like, we were like, I work in the Renaissance Center. She's like, the whole floor was watching you and they were like gonna call, like try to call the Coast Guard because they saw you on the water. And I was just like, kind of like, really? Like everyone on your floor was like, they're like, yeah, everyone had stopped working. We're just watching you kite from, you know, the 20th floor of the Renaissance Center on the Detroit River. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I think that, you know, like 
all those office people were probably sitting there watching me kite. <laughs> yeah, for real. No, it is, it is really fun to watch. That is. I, sure. I, I always wanted to have like my dream actually like kite stock. I wanted to have a international kite competition on the Detroit river right in front of the casino. Um, when the wind is like Southwest, it, it just funnels through there. It can get, it, it's actually really good. It's just it, like, you know, it doesn't happen that often, but I always thought like it would be such a cool venue to have, um, like there are a lot of competitions that are like have a window, you know, like a, a two week window. And it's that day that has the perfect conditions. I'm like, we could totally do that in September. We could totally, if we had a two week window. We could definitely find one day in that two week window that would have the perfect conditions and, you know, get a bunch of pro riders and like, it would like, sure. people would yeah. just be, it would be such a show. If you were, if there was like 50 pro riders, like out just ripping around, jumping 50 feet right in front of the Renaissance center there, like that would, it would be, that would be huge. That that's been my dream. Actually, I wanted to kite sock to actually eventually turn into like something on the Detroit River. Once we almost did, we almost got everyone to drive there, but uh, a lot of guys were worried about the river and and, Love and it. Uh, issues. Set up the Guinness World Record for highest kite jump over the Ambassador Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Another spot that we ride in Sarnia, uh, under the Blue Water Bridge, is a really awesome kite spot. Okay. And uh, it's so weird though, because you we actually ride underneath the bridge there, and it feels like your kite when you jump sometimes is going to catch, but when you if you're actually watching, it's like there's like a hundred feet. But it's weird when you actually are riding under the bridge and you jump, you feel like the kite is going to catch the bridge, the under oh, wow. side of the bridge. But it's like when you watch from the, it's like not even close. But it's it's oh, bizarre yeah. how how that it, when you are riding there, it feels like the bridge is like right there. It's, yeah. it's a cool spot. It's like being um, up the on current, a diving board, you know, you feel like you're so much higher than you actually are. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's an, another amazing spot. Like we have all these like bizarro like um spots that are just amazing. Um it's really narrow underneath the bridge in Sarnia. And um you have all of the water of Lake Huron coming in there. So there's a ton of current. Like there's current on the turver, but it's even stronger. It's like maybe, I don't know, I think it's maybe like six or seven knots there. So what happens is when you get a really strong south wind, you get the wind waves and you actually get standing waves in the river. You can get these like chest to head high standing waves in the river, like just, just down from the bridge. And you can literally just like, like slash these like standing waves while you're cutting. It's just an amazing, amazing uh, spot. Another little weird wave that we have. All you need is wind, water, and courage, right? <laughs> and you're golden. <laughs> Uh, yeah wow man but we'll have to get you out snow kiting this snow winter you're in like you're in the snow belt you're literally yeah. gonna have like five feet of snow in uh in january so you're gonna need to do something dude i'm down i can't do normal s snowboarding because i'm too afraid of the uh the lift going back up the hill oh yeah <laughs> so so count me in for some snow kiting that sounds like awesome time. you know broke yeah. my ankle on a toboggan i'm sure i'll do real great snow <laughs> kiting <laughs> the cool part like snow kiting is pretty cool because you don't need a lot of power you can basically because picture like on the water you need to like get pulled up out of the water and get going but on snow you can basically just be standing there you just dive the kite and you just like start going Especially with skis, skis is actually way easier, and uh, it's it's actually it's so easy. Like um, a couple of years ago, I really was promoting the snow kiting, 
when we used to get snow. Just the last couple yeah, of years has been so hard because we haven't had much yeah. much snow down here. Um, but I could. There are many lessons at like two hours. I could go from like person's never even flown a kite to like ripping around in like two hours, which is uh-huh. just amazing that it's that easy to learn. Do you ever pull people kind of, on a ski do the same way you do on a sea do? <clears throat> um what well what i do is um i would tow my kids actually i have a couple cool videos of me towing my son behind me on his snowboard so i'm just i'm kiting and i just have a little uh like a, a rope for my sea do like a 10 foot rope he's holding on to the the handle and i'm just towing him around it's super super fun oh man. tons of videos out there too guys doing it awesome so that's the other to be able to like tow someone with the kite while you're riding too is is pretty neat yeah really kai i know you don't think your dad's that cool man but hey <laughs> you got a pretty wicked childhood buddy trust me uh, yeah <laughs> my daughter my daughter used to be really into the the water and the last couple of years she uh hasn't really um like we we a couple times she's been with us at concord and she didn't really even want to go in the water or do anything so i'm hoping she comes around because she oh was gosh. actually like our crazy one when you know, when she was like one, two years old, she would like, um, she would be like on the couch and like just jump and like into my arms, like not even like oh, yeah. they're not ready. Like she was like the wild one. Everyone's yeah. like, oh, she's gonna be, she's gonna be your kite surfer. For sure. So, uh, I'm hope, I'm hoping she comes around and, and starts. But last winter I had her. Um, she's she's really good skier. So we try to get up to Blue Mountain like as much as we can in the winter, just to yeah. something to do like. You know, the kids, you know, being they're 11 and, and 13, um, it just, you know, down here, it sucks. You don't get much snow. So there's not much to do. So, um, you know, it seems like most of the winter, you know, it's like, what does it do? Like be on your device. So I've been trying to get the kids like last, we had season pass at Blue Mountain and pretty much, you know, every weekend that I didn't have hockey, we'd go to Blue Mountain and uh, get up on the, the hill. It's just so nice up there with snow. It just, you know, it's like down here. Um, it sucks in the winter when there's no snow on the ground and everything's just brown and, and uh, there's nothing to do. So it's nice to get up to the, to the snow belt, your, your area of the country. Oh yeah. I'm above it now, man. No more, uh, Leamington, uh, Florida like winters. <laughs> Scott, it's, you know, eh, yeah, yeah. bad things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, dude, Hey man, it has been awesome talking to you, bro. And I've definitely. Been- yeah, I've learned a lot about kiting and uh, can't wait to get back out there with you soon. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot eventually. Awesome. Bad yeah, anytime, you, especially when you come back into town, All down right, into uh, Essex County, let me know. Right on, man. Yeah, it's getting a little too cold for uh, beers in my sister's backyard like last <laughs> time. So we'll have to go out, hit the fields. Uh, All right, dude. Uh, Thanks, man. And I don't have to yes, tell you, a pleasure. but I want you to stay stoked, bro. Awesome. Same. Later. See you, Derek. That's all for episode number 18 of Permastoked. I hope you guys enjoyed listening or watching that show. Again, I want to say mahalo to my friend Tim Blanchard of Surf Culture Canada for bringing us all up to speed on kiting in Canada. To learn more about Tim or to book lessons with Surf Culture Canada online, visit www.surfculturecanada.ca. You can even connect with Tim on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Surf Culture Canada, 
and on Twitter at SurfCultureCan. like to give a big mahalo to Mark Malibu and the Wasagas for providing our intro music Hey Chihuahua off their 2009 album Crash Monster Beach and our outro music End of Summer off their 2017 album Return of the Wasagas. For more information visit www.wasagas.com and check them out on Spotify and iTunes. And of course mahalo to all you listeners out there. We are so grateful that you chose to join us for this episode. And we look forward to providing you with even more awesome content in the future. More episodes are definitely on their way. But in the meantime, make sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. And don't miss an episode ever again. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can even listen on Spotify or the Alexa app. And you can even watch the show on our YouTube channel. Please let us know how we're doing. Leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to share with your family and friends over social media or by spreading the word in the lineup. To learn more about Freshwater Surf Goods and to check out our products and services, visit freshwatersurfgoods.com. Sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on new products, new episodes of Permastoke, events, our SUP and yoga schedule, and other exciting news. Don't forget to follow us on social media as well. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Freshwater Surf Goods. But if you're a part of the surf or sup community, or a surfaholic wanting to connect with your tribe and stay informed as to what's happening all across the Great Lakes and Canadian surf scene, then join our Facebook group, the All Canadian Surf and Sup Club. At Freshwater Surf Goods, we are currently in need of artists and graphic designers to help us with new product designs. We need photographers to provide Great Lakes in both East Coast and West Coast surf photography. We need musicians for music on the podcast. Hey, we want to make this a real community effort and have you all be a part of it. Or if you have an idea for collaboration, would like to recommend a future guest, would like to invite me to an event or book me to teach supper yoga, or if you'd like to carry our products in your store, or you're interested in being a sponsor of the show, And for anything else, hit me up on social media or email me at Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com. That's Derek spelled the Viking way. No double R's or C's, just D-E-R-I-K at freshwatersurfgoods.com. I look forward to next time and getting to know you all better. In the meantime, I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. Mahalo, freshies. Keep surfing and stay stoked.